everyone. This is Damien O'Connell, and welcome to Episode 7, Season 3 of Controversy and Clarity, a podcast of the Warfighting Society. Today, we talk with retired U.S. Marine Corps Colonel Michael Pesnola. A quick note about the quality of the recording. This was the first time I recorded an interview with my podcast microphone in person, and I didn't realize until after the fact that the recording picked up a lot of the reverb in the room we were in. So the sound quality of our chat isn't quite up to where I'd like it to be, but you can still hear everything fairly well. I should also note that I recorded the conversation back in September 2021, so some of the references you'll hear us make are dated. But that aside, I thought this was a great chat, and I look forward to sharing it with you all. So let's get to Colonel Pisnola's bio. Colonel Pisnola is currently the Chief of Staff and Dean of Administration for the National War College in Washington, D.C. His military career spanned 30 years in command and staff positions, from infantry platoon commander and light armored vehicle company commander to commander of the Marine Special Operations Advisor Group. He also served as an instructor at the basic school. His overseas tours include operational deployments to Somalia in 1993 with the 13th Marine Expeditionary Unit, Special Operations Capable, and twice to Afghanistan, first in 2011 as the Director of Operations for the Intelligence Fusion Cell of the NATO Special Operations Force, and then again in 2013 as the Chief of Staff of the Special Operations Task Force in Bagram. He served multiple tours in Washington, D.C. and Quantico in the service headquarters at the Manpower Department and Joint Duty in Stuttgart, Germany, as the Assistant Chief of Staff for U.S. European Command. Upon retiring from the Marine Corps, he served as the Executive Director for the Institute for Global Leadership at Tufts University and most recently at Plymouth State University as the Academic Operations Manager. Colonel Pesnola is a graduate of the University of Massachusetts Lowell and possesses an MS in Military Studies from the Marine Corps Command and Staff College and an MA in National Security and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College. And now, on to our chat with Colonel Pesnola. Enjoy. All right, we are here with Colonel Mike Pesnola. Sir, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, great to be here. So I'd like to jump right into your early Marine Corps education and, and training. And so first question is, um, during your education as a junior officer, how much emphasis, if at all, was placed on the things we encourage in Marine leaders today, like self-study, critical thinking, creative problem solving, things like that? Yeah, not much. You know, I, I think, it, and I came in the Marine Corps, OCS 81, 83, and then TBS in 84. And when you look back on it, while it was a very interesting time, uh, Reagan years, we were getting a lot of equipment, it was a lot of growth. We were only, we were only 10 years from Vietnam, so the, the education that I got in my first battalion, which was 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, which a lot of Marines, most Marines today think about the unit that's in the desert. We were actually on the beach in San Mateo, living in San Clemente, so it was a very different lifestyle. But it was very much rooted in the Korea, Vietnam, the science of infantry tactics, mm -hmm. the science of the weapon systems, the science, you know, um, and I'll get into John Boyd later, but it was about commanding and controlling. Okay, how can you control your squads, your fire teams, your platoons? That's what it was about. Mm -hmm. And how do you control fires? Not a lot of thought mm -hmm. during that period of time. Do you recall, sir, the first superior who sought to develop you professionally or similarly encouraged you to develop yourself? Uh, definitely. You know, I, my, first, my first billet, uh, I was a platoon commander in um, Lima Company 3-7. You know, great history. And again, 
great leaders there, but not any, any real thinking. It wasn't until I got the weapons company and I had a, a guy, uh, uh, Wild Bill Hartig, like 6'3". Great name. You know, had, had the horn rim glasses when they weren't cool. Um, had actually, you know, been on the practice squad with the New York Giants. So he was a, he was a legend, uh, you know, in our time. But he, he was, what it say, used my Boston vernacular, wicked smart. He was really smart and he really, you know, really taught me the science of the things you need to know, you know, of, of, of fire support. And it was actually a good education. But again, it was more, it was very much the science of heavy machine guns, of mortars, and so forth. So I, I, I was lucky because I had Hartig, then I, and I had um, Damon Watson, who's a, he, he had been my instructor at the basic school, and uh, Jim Lasseter, who retired as a three-star. All, all great, great leaders, all really took me under their wing. You know, and, and again, as I look back on it, it was understanding the science. And then, uh, not to forget our enlisted, you know, my, my first platoon sergeant, I'll never forget him, uh, Gunny Zimney, you know, a cowboy from, from Wyoming. He was on the Marine Corps shooting team. He was a, just a great leader. And he really, he taught me the other side of it about like, how do you take care of this platoon? Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. then, you know, th those lessons carried, carried with me over time. Did you see the, the Gunny kind of more focused on um, leadership? Right, and, right. It was, yeah. it was definitely a, like, it was definitely a, hey, this is what the troops are thinking. This is what's going on. No, don't go there, Lieutenant. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like, and, but he was, he used to have a very, like I say, a cowboy kind of manner to him. He was great. He was really uh, helpful to me, you know, growing up. Why was it that the focus, I mean, at least in your experience and, you know, at 3-7, why was it so heavily on the science? I think that's where the Marine Corps was at the time. Now, in those days, it was an 18-month cycle. You deployed, you came back, switched all the people out. You had an 18-month buildup and you we were a UDP unit, mm -hmm. you know, and there was this Mew thing going on, you know, that it became a, a it, it was a Mao then a Marine Expeditionary Unit then Special Operations Capable. But that was, that was First Marines. That was down the road. That mm -hmm. was the other guys mm -hmm. that got on ships and stuff. Right. We were the, we were the guys that went to the desert, mm -hmm. you know, we, we and, and again, it was always the rumor that we're going to move to the desert. And it wasn't until I left that they went to the desert. <laughs> but, but I think, I think that again, time-wise, it was only 10 years removed from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I think we're still, we still had a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. There was a lot, by the time I got there, a lot of the, the drug abuse, the, those kind of things had kind of subsided. And we were, we were, you know, with the Reagan years, professionalizing. Mm -hmm. So it was, we were getting better, but it was, it was that transition period. Yeah. This is something we've talked about before and listeners will have to forgive me we've interviewed a few times before this is the first time we're doing it for the podcast and in previous conversations you've used the terms blocking and tackling and, and right. the basics and I think these things mean different things to different people so I'd, I'd like to right. get your take on yeah, what those things again mean. it gets it gets to that it gets to the science it gets to the, the command and control yeah. you know and I can remember you know it was, it was kind of like you'd have a training scenario and we're here, they're there, and there's bad guys over here, and it's truly blocking and tackling, X's and O's, right, right. you know. But without, without a lot of thought, you know, you know what, if, what if the enemy moved? What if the enemy's not there, right. you know? Or is uh, the orientation is this way instead And of again, that. I go to the time, you know, now, once I got to Cuba, we started hearing about this guy, Al Gray, mm -hmm. in the East Coast, and all this East Coast stuff, and it sounded kind of 
kind of strange yeah. at the time. And then I got to TBS and everything changed. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. And, um, you know, a colleague of yours, Eric Walters, former uh, guest on the podcast, but he'll often say, you know, blocking and tackling is great, but when do we, when do we get to scrimmaging, mm-hmm. right? When do we yeah. get to the unscripted right. play where we're having to adjust on the fly and face somebody who has their own mind and their own will and they're trying to impose that will on right. us? Even in today, I don't think you really hear about scrimmaging. It's always blocking and tackling. We've got to be brilliant in the basics. Well, what's after that? Yeah. Curious to know about your experience at the Army's Cavalry Leaders Course. What was it like attending an an Army school? Well, and again, and and we'll we'll go back to TBS. That came after TBS. Okay. But it was it was it was it was great. It was it was kind of strange, you know. Like uh, in in my career, I was I was lucky to kind of be part of a transformative thing. It's like, we'll talk TBS with Maneuver mm-hmm. Warfare, but the Marine Corps had just, it was just really getting their feet on with this light armored vehicle thing. You know, what, what is this light armor? What do we do? Mm-hmm. And later it was with, with, with special operations, but th- that made my career go by quick, but also it was very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I'll never forget, I was, you know, the patrolling instructor at TBS, th- thought I was gonna be like everybody else, and mm-hmm. it was like, I don't know. It was like December of '91 or '92 or something, and, and one of the one of the senior captains or majors came and said, "Hey, congratulations! You got to go to school." I said, "Well, AWS is great this summer." They said, "No, you're going to you're going to Fort Knox in February," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you know, and I that's where the our tankers go, right. and it was like, "Nah, LABs, that that that," and it. It was great. It, it was it was a gr- it, it was great. It was one of those like left turns that you take because again, I thought I was going to go like everybody else, go to AWS with all my peers, right. and then go be a company commander. Right. But now I had this whole light armor thing, which you know the Marine Corps was kind of figuring out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were figuring out. So the course was great. And again, I think at that time it was my first exposure. I wish more folks get it. You know, to the other services. Mm-hmm. You know. And just you know how they how they function. Now this was right on the backside of the Gulf War, so it's a lot of lessons learned mm-hmm. with that. But it kind of opened my eyes up again, or it, to start studying organizations and organizational change. Mm-hmm. And okay, why did we get this LAV? Yeah. I ended up writing a paper on it and yeah, saw it later. Yeah, yeah. But you know, and what are we supposed to do and and, and so forth. So. Yeah. It was a good course, you know, the Armor Officer Advanced Course and then the Cavalry Leaders Course all together. It was, it was great, you know, small group interaction with mostly Army, you know, and, mm-hmm. but it, it, it opened my eyes up. What did, I mean, what did you take away from the experience of being at an Army school, of working with soldiers? It, it definitely gave me an appreciation for the, my peers in the Army, for their upbringing and their, you know, certainly you really learn that the Marine Corps, we're all Marines, we all go to the basic school. The, the Army, uh, God love them, but the Army is very branch focused, mm-hmm. you know, your armor, your mm-hmm. infantry, you know. Um, and I, I learned all the goodness of the Army and just what they have, but also how large they are mm-hmm. in all the large formations. But it was interesting because what were the what were the scenarios we played? We were playing the fold the gap. We were still <laughs> big surprise. <laughs> like, like big we, surprise. We were still we were still. This is in the early nineties. This is the early nineties, but it was like, but that that's what we had on the shelf. Right. So, right. Um, and and I did bring in the maneuver warfare thing, which was kind of strange to some of the army folks. But uh, it, it was it was just just starting, you know, what became mission command in the army, but mm-hmm. it wasn't really there yet. Right. But right. 
you would talk to some of the senior army leaders from the Gulf War, and that's what they found was most, you know, they said, I can't control everything. I just had to give my people in a tent and off they go. And you know? we'll, we'll get to command and control, yeah. I think, in, in detail yeah. here shortly. So I'd like to talk about your time at, at the basic school. When did you first hear of maneuver warfare? Was this before TBS? Was this while you were there? And what was your reaction to it? Well, like I said, I didn't hear the term, but when I was at, when I was in Cuba, I, I, I did my time in 3-7, and then, then again, one of the left turns you take, you, I thought I was going to first recon, and then they said, here's your orders to Cuba. <laughs> and, uh, and I was on Leeward's side, a platoon commander, and it, it was a great job. It was, you know, your, your folks guard the gate, guard the, from the outposts uh, one week, so, so you're on 24-7, mm. you know, you know, protecting the base. And then the next week, it was all live fire training. And I had every weapon in a regiment, to include 106s, probably why my hearing is so bad, but, um, but it was great, it was a great time. But at that time, we would hear these things about what's happening, this is, this is 88, you know, these things that are happening on Camp Lejeune. And I'm mm -hmm. like, huh, that's, that's not what we were doing at Camp Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then when I got to the basic school, it was eye-opening, and, and, and I think it was, my timing was right, I mean, you know, right in that, that gap. I mean, I, sh I show up as a lieutenant, I, I go into the Terry Ebert, the CO of the basic school, he says, Captain, you're in the wrong uniform, and he promoted me to captain. I was like promoted when I was on leave. And then um, I was assigned down to, uh, uh, to kind of bird dog some folks, you know, in, in tactics for, for just a couple of weeks. But then I was assigned to Boomer Milstead's company, where I, I had two, two companies as an SBC and then uh, uh, two years as the patrol instructor. But during that, like right when I got there, is right when uh, Maneuver Warfare was published and there was, you know, there was the, you know, the infighting, you know, this is crazy, you know, why are we studying Austerlitz? Why do, what do you mean commander's intent? You These tell, are the basics. You tell a lieutenant what to do. And, right. and it was a lot of, a lot of infighting happening there. But uh, over time, it, it, it won out. Did we, did we bat a thousand? No, I'd say we're probably batted. 250, mm -hmm, you know, but, mm -hmm. but we, we planted the seeds, yeah. you know, of the, the leadership that's in charge today. Yeah. You know. If we could talk a little more about the so-called Quantico Renaissance, the intellectual ferment, the, the arguing, the debating, the trading of ideas. Did you see this at TBS as well as other places? Did it seem focused at TBS? Did, did, did there seem like there was something different in the air? Yeah, yeah, you, you know, it, it's kind of funny, like you asked me the question about when I was a lieutenant. And, you know, when you're a lieutenant, you're in a bubble. I, I, it pro I, probably not that today because of the internet and, yeah. you know, and social media, but back then, man, you were in your bubble. You were in like, I'm in my battalion bubble, you know. And, and at TBS, we were a little bit in a bubble, but I do remember going over to AWS, and I don't think we went to command staff, but we got the feeling that, yeah, you're just teaching lieutenants. Yeah, you just mm -hmm. we're, we're we're doing the real stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, it, FMFM three one, you know, the, you know the um, I don't even know what it's called today, but it's it, it, it's you know or, or to say how you how, how you fight amphibious yeah, operations. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, th I I found out later, you know, that, that at least I think this is the story that General Gray, like he he, he even though he was the commandant, his ability to really implement change was very much very curtailed mm. but what he what he really focused on he said well 
if I can't do command and staff, I can't do AWS or AWS at the time, I'll do TBS. Yeah. You know, and and uh, Terry Ebert and then uh, General Kelly, I mean, Colonel Kelly after him, you know, just, you know, allowed that to happen and it went. And um, again, it didn't go, it, it didn't go smoothly. And that, that's because there, there, was a, there was a cadre that thought, hey, a, a lieutenant needs to shut up, needs to be told what to do mm. and go. And we shouldn't be wasting time with all this other, you know, studying Napoleon and Austerlitz and all that. And it's like, no, this is about thinking about what we do, thinking mm -hmm. about our profession. So it's the, it's that balance between training and education. Mm -hmm. And some people, some people, I think, think that, that, that the education piece, that really shouldn't start till later. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, the education starts now, mm -hmm. you know. And so th that was kind of the yin and the yang, the problems that we had to deal with. We got through it. But I think, you know, some of the students that, some of the students that really accepted it, again, they, they went to the fleet and what did they have? They were working for captains and for majors that had been through command and staff or mm. AWS who didn't have that. So some were accepting, some weren't, mm. some survived, some didn't. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think you were predisposed to embrace maneuver warfare because of your experience at, at 3.7 with your leaders who seem to put a premium on at least knowing the science of your profession, was this something that just seemed to make sense to you? Or what, you know, what were the circumstances or, you know, conditions present for you that kind of left you saying, yeah, this makes sense to me. And I, yeah. I think we should embrace it, if yeah. that makes sense. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You get into the psychology, yeah, but yeah. you know, I, I will say I am from Massachusetts, so even though you know I have liberal tendencies, I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded. I sure. guess I'm, I'm more open-minded. And, and it, I remember at first I was like, that, that sounds crazy. You know, the, you know, they need to do what I do. Hmm. You know, but then so there was an initial yeah, kind of it, resistance it, or pushback. Yeah, but then, then I then thought about it and it was like this kind of this makes sense. Yeah. This makes sense, and, and a lot of it had to do with just who was packaging it, who was selling it. You know, when you got a guy like John Kelly telling you about it, and then John Allen, and um, mm -hmm. that that it all makes sense. It comes together. So it just it took a little bit of time, but then it was like, hey, no, and, and a little bit of it was just the hierarchy. You know. The commandant signed this, <laughs> read it, understand it, believe it, right. you know, and press forward. And then, and then I, think, I think the peers, I think, over, over time, the ones that were resistant, I think over time, they just kind of, I don't know, they, they fell by the wayside. But the, 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 the most intellectual, the most logical voices, the Paul Kennedys, eventually, you know, Dave Furness, uh, Lou Craparata, those voices made sense, mm -hmm. and, and the logic made sense. So that was, you know, and, and, and it was it was a magical time. I mean, you know, uh, to be at TBS. If you look at the folks that were there, you know, I, I listed them: Kelly, Allen, Amos, Osterman, Craparata, Clarity, Milstead, Kennedy, Furness, and I probably forgot. I mean, some. like a, a room full of future generals. Yeah, and and, and so. You know, it, it was a magical time with just the interaction and, 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 and a host of guys that got out as majors, lieutenant colonels, right, colonels, right. but a magical time where, you know, intact, it was tactics and the instructional group, instructional group, just the discussions that we would have, you know, and the debates that we would have were energizing, yeah. you know. Yeah, what, I mean, because I experienced this actually to a large degree when I was at the basic school and being in the bullpen 
just listening to yeah. the, and you know, sometimes I would instigate these things, sometimes I'd fall in on them, but it, it truly was energizing and, and exciting. What do you remember about these exchanges, these conversations where they're, for lack of a better term, you know, maneuver warfare instigators in oh, that yeah. bullpen? Oh yeah, 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 you had Mike McNamara, yeah. you know, Paul Kennedy, you know, that, that they, they, they would, they had, they had the special gift to kind of make that happen. Sure. And, to kind of goad on some of the some of the naysayers, you know, and and so forth. And again, I think at the end of the day, you, you need you need both. You need the art and the science. Mm-hmm. You know, the maneuver mm-hmm. is the art. You need the science. You, you know, the, the lieutenant needs to know the capabilities of his weapon systems. The lieutenant needs to know just needs to speak a common language, mm-hmm. left, right, you know. But he also needs to think. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he because as we find out, you know, he he may be left. In, not in communication, mm-hmm. need an executed mm-hmm. intent, and so forth. So. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, Stacy Clarity, who was also at, at yeah. TBS during that time, and if, if my memory serves me, he described himself as a nutritionist, mm-hmm. I think, when he first got there, but that over time, oh, yeah. he goes, well, you know, this does make sense, and you know, now he considers himself a you know, kind of dyed in the wool uh, maneuverist. Did you see transitions or, you know, a kind of uh, Maneuver warfare, enlightenment, if you will, in some of your oh, yeah. peers. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I, I'd put them in three different groups. So the first group, you know, the Paul Kennedys, Mike McNamara's, they got it right away, and they they were disciples right mm-hmm. away. And then there were the the dyed in the wool, not going to go. Mm-hmm. Unf- you know, really, what the, those guys got marginalized. I think mm-hmm. there was a few of those. But then a lot of us we were kind of in that middle group. You know, kind of, and it was, it was hey. Here, here's, here's FMFM1, here's the curriculum, execute it, mm-hmm. you know. Now, I think as years passed, I th- years went on, I think, I think some other leadership came in and mm-hmm. some other folks who went to AWS, went to command and staff, mm-hmm. were in command, came back, right. and, and Gray's gone, Monday's in charge, you know. Yeah, that, that FMFM1 thing, okay, right, fine. And TBS went through uh, you know, uh, you know, sine wave. Of, As I, I think of it. it still does today. Yeah, yeah, it still does. But I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, our war fighting philosophy, uh, uh, you know, as articulated, you know, it, it's valid. It's valid today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as it was thirty years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we just need to need to not lose it. Yeah. You mentioned the curriculum at, at TBS. So you walk into TBS w- where there's a radically different curriculum Absolutely. from when you went through as a student. What had changed, probably speaking? Oh, it, it, you want to talk about blowing it up. You know, you know Ke- Kelly, the story is that he, he told me this, you know, but like, like no kidding, took the curriculum. He told, he told <laughs> and like, me. And like, like threw it away. And, and was, that at, was that at that, TBS? That was at I, IOC. So he, he like... But but he instigated yeah. it at TBS, and at TBS it was a brand new curriculum, and and, and um, you know how it affected me. I, I became the patrolling instructor. You went from four patrols. You had I mean, in, I think they were teaching this in Korea. You had day security, night security patrol, day ambush patrol, night ambush patrol. Check block, you're done. And then I think we had seven, up to twelve, you know, recommended. But I think we ended up settled at seven. And then we had just just more more focus on force on force. Again, a lot a lot of friction on that because and, and it's, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about balance. It's about risk and balance. If you do force on force, how can you know you limit it a little bit about the technology you have, 
and then what are the outcomes you're seeking to get mm -hmm. you know and what if those outcomes don't happen right. you know how do you how do you so it needs to be scripted to a point that you almost you know force force the engagement but let the engagement happen um free play very hard to do mm. very hard to do very hard to to manage mm -hmm. but um we tried and again some successes some failures but and if i could i think uh maybe in the, the, the failure category, uh, or at least I think some people have seen it this way, there was a, I think a free play exercise or, or a, um, you know, an exercise where the students would be put in their kind of respective starting points and just completely left to mm -hmm. bump into the other unit or not. Right. And, that, and I think I remember uh, Mike McNamara talking about this. There were some captains who just couldn't, right. they couldn't stand that. They didn't want to go out to the event. Or maybe I'm conflating it with the war. But yeah. there, no, but that, yeah. but that that was it, and and you, you roll that to you know what's referred to as the Zen Patrol. But the whole idea being, we want. And this was an eye opener for me, an aha moment for me, is in terms of no whether it was the war, it was patrolling. What bugged me when I for the first six months, I would obviously run the run the patrolling exercise as the as the lead. I'd always lead a patrol. Some students got it got it all the way, but. A lot of times, students were looking inward. They were trying to execute what Captain Pesnola or Captain McNamara or Captain Kennedy told them what to do. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me as wrong because that, that's not right. It, it, they, need to, they need to fight the situation. Mm. They, need to, the they, need, they need to, again, they need to gain, you know, have appreciation and provide the leadership where needed. And, and so that's why, you know, that's the, that's the friction you have, whether it be the war or mm -hmm, patrolling, mm -hmm. you know, how do you control events enough? And some of us, I think, were flexible and enough in our minds that we could watch, take notes. And then the most important part was after, mm. was when you got the lieutenants and you said, okay, you did X, Y, Z, this happened, and it's taking a lot of good notes. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, some, some, some instructors, they were all about winning. They just wanted to, you know, they wanted to be on the top of the hill right. with, you know, with my with, platoon one, with, with yeah. my platoon one uh, or my company one, but it's not about that. It's about taking the good notes, getting them around a sand table or on a whiteboard and, and going, okay, and breaking it down and trying to get to the heart of the decision-making this happened, here was the situation, why did you make that decision? Mm -hmm. Again, and then unpack it so that eventually, then you then they're hungry, they want like, mm -hmm. help me mm -hmm. with this. Then we can show them some of the science. We could say, oh, well, here's, here's a way to do this, you know? And to me, that's true learning, because mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm learning through experiential learning, I'm, I'm kind of, I got my butt kicked, mm -hmm. and, and I, you have the I now I now have the experience. Now this makes sense. When I'm just trying to execute a technique or you know, that I was told in a classroom, it may sink in, it may not. So it, it, that's the I think the value of that. And and I think with the technology today, why we aren't doing that more, I don't know. What sort of reaction did the students have to this this approach of? Focusing outwardly, focusing on the situation, and then once having the experience, I mean, really being, it sounds like thoroughly debriefed mm -hmm. on the decision-making 
process? I, I think it's, it's kind of like my students here at the War College today. You know, you have some students, you tell them to write a paper, they'll be, okay, I got it. But some students, uh, I need to know what's the format. What's the, format what's the rubric? I yeah, need to yeah. know exactly what, what are you really looking for. Right. So it's the same thing. You know, for some students, it was very, it was very tough. But for other students, I think, um, I think it was enlightening to them. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we really ever fully turned the corner, mm -hmm. you know, on it, it to do it. And I think, I think, you know, to me, you know, that's how you, de you develop a thinking, a truly thinking, thinking, you know, force. You know, the leaders. What do you say? And there are still people around here today who think this. You know, lieutenants don't need to think; they just oh, yeah. need to execute. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's your What's your response? I, I to that? think Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia. I think you know has taught us that no, the lieutenants need need to be thinking. They they need they need to know the science. They need they again, they need to know the capabilities of the weapon systems. They need to know the capabilities of their unit. They need to speak a common vernacular, if you will. Uh, yeah, they need to know that. But e even with all the great technology we have, and this is a concern I have, is um, that we, we, need, we need them thinking. Mm -hmm. you know, the, but again, the, the I, I, I am concerned with the technology and just the ability um, of generals to just control everything mm -hmm. or think they're controlling everything. Right, yeah, know? I think there's a, probably a lot of... Yeah, self-deceiving that goes right. on. Right, the reality on the ground is the reality on the ground. Right, that's what it was. I was. I think I was asking about total free play. Yeah, that's that's. I think where there was. A yeah, lot the, of the total free play. We did that. I think one one or two wars. It just became a total mess. Because, so th there was like yeah, really yeah, no. Yeah. You know, there were no forcing functions to right. get the units to come and fight each other. Right. You put one in this LZ. You know, you put yeah. one company in this LZ. You, you spend right. forever just like and like just, yeah yeah you yeah. know so. You, so you gotta, it, it's kind of, again, like with the Zen Patrol, what we did is the, the forcing function was the, the land nav routes, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. We, okay, you will follow this route, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it, it forced interaction, but then, then the interaction was on the lieutenant. Sure. Just figure it out. In recent years, the dichotomy of attrition versus maneuver warfare has really seemed to fall out of favor. In previous conversations, we've talked about how some captains appeared or seemed as attritionists um, what were you What were you saying about that person? What were you kind of how, how were you characterizing it? Well, I think I, I think to oversimplify, the, the, someone that was in that camp was in the camp that, like you said previously, you know, hey, lieutenants need to just execute. Mm -hmm. So it was it was that execute. They don't need to be learning about Napoleon and or learning Sun Tzu. They just need to be. They need to know the science. They need to know how to command and control their mm -hmm. platoon. Mm -hmm. They need to know the capabilities of their weapons, and that's it. And I, as a captain or a major, will tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's 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 what it was. That mm -hmm. was the the Marine Corps I came into. Yeah. So you've mentioned Napoleon and Austerlitz several yeah. times. Um, where did this? I mean, how did this come in? Uh, who introduced it? How often are you guys talking about? Well, I think these it things? was. It might have been Ray Cole, but it, it got introduced. It was part of the curriculum re revamp, and it was one of the first things we hit on. It was. It was a tool we used to introduce war fighting. Hmm. You know, and it's the Battle of Austerlitz, which Napoleon was outnumbered. You know, but I won't get into the specifics. But he. It could, it, we introduced the term could we? You mm -hmm. know, see, seeing you know eye, eye, eye for the ground, yeah. flash of the eye. You know that he could see kind of what was happening, and he seized the opportunity because he 
saw that. Again, some people, you know, why are we studying this? You know, it's like, well, it's a case study to help you then start talking about war fighting, about intent, about trust, about all the elements that, that make up, you know, the war fighting, mm -hmm. uh, our philosophy. So it was, it was a tool. It, it, and I, and I, I don't know if it was Cole, but somebody in there just picked it. You could have picked anything, yeah. but it, it was a case study. Could you, you mentioned uh, Ray Cole, could you talk a little more about him and sort of the role he's playing in, in this whole thing? And well, he, he, was, he was the tactics group chief uh, at that time, which is a pretty powerful position because you have the colonel that's running um, TBS mm -hmm. and he has, he has an XO, but then you had a major, I think it was major, lieutenant colonel, uh, I think, I, I lose, lose track. Mm -hmm. But um, he ran tactics at the time, mm -hmm. that then became the instructional group. So he, it was under his leadership that the whole revision of the curriculum mm -hmm. fell. Mm -hmm. So, so he, he had to take this thing, you know, this this war fighting, you know, book, and mm -hmm. say, okay, how are we going to do this? And and it's it's pretty risky, pretty pretty, uh, you know, uh, to do. But it was what was needed because it, it there was no way that an incremental you know, slow change to the curriculum was going to work. Mm -hmm. It needed to be, it needed bold action. Mm -hmm. And and he led that. And so, and, and I think, and if I recall, he had a connection with Greg going back. I, th there was some kind of connection mm -hmm. that it all came and uh, so that he, he, he could make that happen. As a captain at TBS, you had a great deal of freedom. And in a previous conversation, you told me about a fellow captain, Paul Kennedy, whose name has come, come up already, but he had decided to bring his platoon out to the woods and use BB guns mm -hmm. with them, I think doing some force on force. Would you walk me through how, how that came about, um, your observations of that? Cause, and this also leads, I think, into the Zen Patrol. Oh, absolutely. Like it, was, it was like, yeah, you know, like I, I think we were drinking a beer at the Hawk and I was like, you did what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they had, they had hair protection, they had eye, eye protection. But it was it, it really getting into the mental, moral, physical element of what we're talking about. You can shoot Miles Gear at each other mm -hmm. and, you know, your Miles Gear goes off, whatever. But it was about, infl you know, inflicting pain, mm -hmm. inflict, you know, that fear element. I don't want to get shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, this is real. Right, right. Like, this is, this is. So it, 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 ch it changed the dynamics. And I think it was early on. So it was, it was kind of like. Let's see what you know. I mean, you know, you know, back then, who knows today? Because so many kids grow up playing video games. Mm -hmm. But back then, kids play. You know, everyone plays War Out in the Woods, mm -hmm. whatever. So that discussion with Paul then kind of sparked, you know, the idea in me that, you know, first off, I don't, I don't think we trust the lieutenants enough. That we think they are a blank sheet when they walk in. They are not. They have common sense. And a lot of patrolling is common sense. It's, it's survival. So that, that led to the Zen Patrol, which the lieutenant's label, but it, it was just, it was a different way of patrolling where, and again, I don't want to oversell it, you know, but I think conceptually it was a right idea. You take the books away. You take all the prior enlisted folks who have had the training and tell them, hey, listen, don't take over, ask pointed questions. And basically, you put the lieutenants without any classroom instruction at all out in the field. That all they've really done at TBS is land nav, mm -hmm. so they can go from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. 
And, and it was funny, because you'd be like, what, what, what do we do? And, and then the, whole, the hardest thing was to train the, the AIs to say, what do you think you should do? To not, not take in. control. Right. And do you think you ought to put, you know, and, and they would, they didn't have to be taught to put someone out at point. They didn't have to be taught to put somebody out on the flanks. They, they kind of figured that out. Even crossing dangers wasn't by the book, but I mean, but they, they knew that you don't just walk into the middle of an open field, mm -hmm. you know? So that was the idea. The hardest part was the AIs taking notes and then getting back on the sand, sand table and then recreating the dilemmas mm -hmm. and then having those questions. And then you, you reverse engineer it and then by answering the questions, then go to the classroom and say, all right, now around the big sand table, the, the patrolling classes were more lively mm -hmm. because they could say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, what do you got? Well, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. And then when you talk about the, the patrol order, which mm -hmm. was always a big deal, well, if you capture this stuff in a patrol order, would you guys have been able to kind of do this? So. It makes sense, Instead, again, outward-facing versus inward-facing. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it was out there, but conceptually, I still believe in it. I still, it's, I think it's even, you know, even here today at the War College, you know, like I, the, philosophically, I'd rather, instead of tell people what to do, let them figure it out, and, and they know more than they know. Right. Like we teach strategy. They know more about strategy than we give them credit for. Sure. You know, they aren't a blank piece of, paper that we're filling in, here's how you do strategy. Well, and I think that viewpoint of they are blank slates yeah. or, you know, they're buckets and, and we're, we fill it yeah, up. we're gonna fill it up. Yeah. That I think is still found throughout the Marine Corps. Yeah. I think you see it in recruit training. I think you'll see it at, at TBS and it's just not yeah. true. They may not know the names to many things. They may not know, like you said, how to do mm -hmm. it by the book, but they, They've got at least, if, if you're talking to recruits, they've got at least 17 years of life experience. Yeah. You can find ways to pull from that experience to connect it to what they're learning. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by the Zen Patrol is I think you're really ahead of your time yeah. doing this. As an instructor, what was it like seeing this happen? I mean, what were you feeling the first time you go out to do the Zen Patrol and they're they're looking to you, you know, sir. What do we do? And you know, did you have to resist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, in in some ways, in some ways, it's easier because all you were doing is taking notes, and you didn't have to like teach them all this stuff. Right. But in many ways, it was much more difficult because you had to be a good note taker. You had to be. You really had to be, pay attention. It, it really and ask the right question instead of just what do you think is okay. What are your options? You know, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and and make them start thinking externally about you know what's what's happening. So it was exciting. It was, it, you know, and we only did it for a little while, and then I, I left, and it it, it, it it fell by the wayside uh, again. And, and the thought was. We don't have enough time to do that, and that's always. It's, yeah, it, I, to me, I think that's a, that's that's an argument of someone with not enough imagination. Mm. You know, hey, we only have six months. We have to do. Do, 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 do we have to do X Y Z? They have to get. You know, they have to get this patrolling stuck, and, and that takes too long. And I'm like, eh, I don't buy that. I think you could do a lot of the things, in, in that way that sink in more. Maybe you, you cut down on the the size of the bucket list mm -hmm. and you say all right we're going to do this this and this you know not night defense you know figure it out 
mm-hmm. you know, and let them get exploited. And then it's all in, it's all in the after action. And Did you see, I mean, at least subjectively, that patrolling did seem to sink in more with these students. Did you get feedback, oh, yeah, for instance, yeah. from you, other instructors? You talked, you t- yeah, yeah, but patrolling, it, it, it's, I think it's one of the, I was lucky to do it for two years, but, and I think it's probably the same today, but it's, it's one, of the, one of the things at the basic school that really puts all the pieces together mm. in small unit leadership, you know, that you're, you, you got this small group Alone, you're alone and unafraid. You're you're in charge of everything, getting them from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's a good vehicle for a lot of things. And, and throughout my career, you know, now a bunch of them are generals, but they'd always talk about. I'd always get patrolling, you know, stories. So it was it was just by nature of of the tactic is something that students glom on. And if you think about it, for you know, Mark One Lieutenant, mm-hmm. you know. Coming out of the basic school, what's is that a good skill to have? Yes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's probably not a bad metric. And the students gave the the name Zen Patrol. Yeah, yeah, that came from them. Interesting. Interesting. Sir, you've already talked a little bit about this, but could you go into greater depth about the the role of the debrief and and the instructor in this teaching approach that? You adopted it at TBS. Yeah. It sounds like these things were really key. It, it, it's funny because when I when I first got to TBS, you know, the, I, I don't think I ever went to it. But you were supposed to go to like on Main Side. They had like the instructor education program, mm. and it was always about how do you, how do you use the T? Went like what the heck's that? The T is like you have you have a. a like in an auditorium, oh, yeah, you have yeah. you have the, the, the you know the part down the middle, right. and then you have the front. Right. So how do you how do you work the T mm-hmm. in a room? And, I, and it was all like, you know, state the objective. It, it was all very like sounds like nineteenth century kind of stuff. <laughs> but like we started to think, wait a minute. And this was Paul Kennedy and, yeah. and, and Mike and McNamara, you know, an instructor education program where we started to really, like really look at. Education, like what? How does the human? How does the, the the human think and learn? Mm-hmm. So I think that was that was kind of a revelation for us. So again, like 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 with the the, the importance of the debrief. Some people could do it. Some people couldn't. But we needed to we needed to develop that mm. so that you are asking the right questions that are going to make the students think for themselves. Mm-hmm. But eventually, in some cases. Point to the science, you know, like because we do need to speak a common like language. Teaching fire support, right? Like, yeah, we, we got okay. How did how yeah, you come in? How do I do this? All right, let's go. Let's talk about it and ask the right questions, and then at times it will go right to the science. Mm-hmm. Go, okay, mm-hmm. we have a, you know, tactics, techniques, procedure, right. how we here's the process. manage the fire support yeah. for a patrol, yeah, yeah, you know, or for a company division attack, whatever. Mm-hmm. And here's here's the science part of it. Mm-hmm. But now they're asking from a from a truly inquisitive point, not from a captain personnel told me to do this. Right. Right. Yeah. So that also gets to I think a really interesting aspect of teaching, and it's something that I see again and again when I work with marine instructors. But the role of student motivation. Mm-hmm. When you took this Zen Patrol ap- approach, and I'd be curious to know if you tried to apply this to other things you taught, did student engagement, student motivation seem to increase a great deal, somewhat? 
I mean, how, how would you gauge that, if, if you will? Again, I don't want to overstate it, because yeah. we only did it a little while. But I did, I did see, you know, when, when you did the patrol, when you did the sand table, just walking around, the, the excitement of, mm -hmm. because they had it, like, it wasn't, the debrief wasn't, in the old days it was, the debrief was, you didn't do this the right way, right, you didn't right. do this, it, it was Here's all about, you, you it was all up. about trying to, like, emulate what Captain Pesnell or Captain McNamara told him to do. Right. This was more like, hey, they, they didn't have that. So, so it was very much, you know, it was more animated. And then the, the, the classroom was more animated mm -hmm. because, because you had it. But again, the trick was to economize in time so it doesn't go too long, but to get people to the right point. You mm -hmm. know, you have your objectives you want to get to, mm -hmm. but to, to capture those observations from the students, it's, it's active learning. Yeah. It's, it's the true active learning so that, but it, it takes time, it's hard. It's really easy to train someone, train a monkey to kind of, okay, you know, here, here's, the, here's, here's the manual, here's chapter one, a monkey can do that. It's much harder to Socratically, you know, build this understanding. So you mentioned Socratic questioning. Were you learning at the same time you were doing oh, yeah. this stuff? Absolutely. And was that just a self-driven action? You know, were you just self-teaching you know, self or are you talking with McNamara and Kennedy uh, and kind of throwing ideas against I think them. it was a community, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, and I don't put myself on the level with Kennedy and, and Mac. They were like out there, but but they did start, I, I, it had an acronym, it, it was a structured education program. I, IEP, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the IEP, but we really started like passing around articles right. from from like the Institute, I mean, the, the Chronicle of Higher, Higher Learning, mm. you know, about about the mind, about the, you know, and, and, and we would pass so around Science and stuff. art of teaching yeah, and yeah, education, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and, and then that got me thinking about decision-making. It, it, it was the, 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 the seed was planted then that I still have today mm. of just a very inquisitive nature. And you can't make people have that. You either have it, you don't. But inquisitive nature that started here, and then when I was a captain, it was about decision making. You know, and again, thinking beyond the boundaries of the Marine Corps. Of the, you know, I have. I remember you may have heard of uh, organizational change. Mm -hmm. a guy named Cotter, Cotter from from Harvard. You know, I have an article from like 1986 from him that I still have, and yeah. I still pull it out. It's because it's still relevant. Yeah. It's about about why organizations resist change. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, again, that all came from this time at TVS, this inquisitive nature, you know, that we, we again, we're thinking about what are they teaching over at Quantico? Like, mm -hmm. we don't need to go over there. We need to take it. That's first grade stuff. We need, we need, we need to take it up a level mm -hmm. and really think about how these lieutenants coming out of wherever school they were, the Naval Academy, whatever school they were at, how we can both train them but also educate their minds, mm -hmm. and, and it's a balance of those two things. You could train anybody. I mean, there's this 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 rote training mm -hmm. piece, but there's the education piece that was what we were inqu inquisitive about. So you were doing a lot of you and the cadre at TBS were doing a lot of fascinating, I think, innovative mm -hmm. things. Most of those changes, most of the I think many of the techniques as well. I mean, no one does the Zen Patrol. Mm -hmm today, at least as far as I can tell. Most of these things eventually disappear. Why do you think this was? What prevented 
those changes from sticking? Because the, the philosophy is still there. Oh, no. It, it's, I think it's, it, it goes to what Gray couldn't do. You know, um, if, he could have, if he could have totally changed the Marine Corps and said, you know, command and staff, you know, all his schools really, you know, just forced it to happen and, and changed the manpower system. And this is, this is, this is the yeah. part that Gray couldn't get. Until we start rewarding people for being innovative, truly rewarding people for being innovative, you know, then 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 we die, and that's what happened. I think you had some great leaders come into the basic school, but they knew what they knew, and they Gray wasn't the commandant anymore. Mundy was the commandant, or Krulak was the commandant, you know, and and they took it in just different directions. So I think it's it's unfortunate. But in, even today, until, until we can get to the point where the guy in a unit that makes some mistakes gets promoted to general, mm. then we'll lose. Because the only guys, you know, and I don't know, I don't know. But I used to like to say when I, had, when I was in command, I'd have three people working for me. And, and one knew the book inside and out and, and, didn't, and, and every T was crossed, every I was dotted, and his stuff was perfect. And then I had a guy that was, you know, a knucklehead. And then I had a guy that wasn't, like, perfect, but was trying all different kind of things, you know, like a Brendan McBreen kind of guy. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. going to talk about Brendan. But, you know, pushing the envelope that's my number one guy because that's the guy that's going to take the core. Now he may take the core. He may t- he may go off the cl- cliff. But until we start promoting guys like that, we we are going to be tied down. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, I would challenge all the the, the new breed of, of generals. You know, when when you're on a board, be looking at that. Mm-hmm. Be looking. Don't be looking. Look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, Was I that guy really? Was that the guy crossing the T's and dotting the I's and not really pushing the envelope? Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it, it's hard, because that's what got them there, mm-hmm. you know? And, but wait a minute, you know, what, what, what about somebody? It, until you do that, Marine Corps is going to be great, but we're just, you're never going to push it, you know? As a, I guess, a quick digression, no, it's, it's, it's still relevant, but General Berger, the commandant, mm-hmm. um, I think was talking at uh, a Marine Corps Association event last week, and he announced that the manpower system, talent, talent management, I think is what he said, is his number one priority. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you caught any of that talk, but you know, in the context of what we just discussed, what's your reaction to that? Well, General Berger, you know, in fact, General Berger was in 3-7 before me. I, 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 I've never, like, had, I think I've talked to him once about it. Like, he was, he was the generation right before mm. me uh, in going there. So that was kind of his, his experience. But every time I talk to him, when I do talk to him, because we were peers, yeah. that's, I say, you got to fix the manpower. I, until, I mean, and really fix the manpower. I am... And, and it, his ability is limited mm. because a lot of the man, it's Dotma, it's, it's, it's higher than him. Right. But until we can really change the manpower system to really reward the innovators, reward the people that are thinking outside the box, reward the people that are contrarian, if you will, mm-hmm. um, then again, we, we, will, we will survive. We'll have great generals. We'll do great. And some will... The algorithms, you know, will break the mold and sure. then they'll come out. But for the most part, 
it's a very, you know, it's a very safe, you know, safe bet. Sure. Take your safe bet. Sure. You mentioned Brendan McBreen a little while ago, and you actually went to college with him. Yeah, Brendan and I were in, we, we both failed out of college together. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you know, as, as listeners know, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of Brendan. He was the first person we had on the podcast, and we do a lot of things uh, with him, with the Warfighting Society. He's still very active. You just talked about your, your college experience yeah. with him, uh, and, and then he was one of your students. Then, then he's a lieutenant. He's a lieutenant. In, in your but, platoon. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. So, well, no, he, he, when I was patrolling instructor, got he came it. through. Okay. Through, so, but, yeah, if yeah. you just talk about it. No, Brendan was awesome. Brendan, Brendan was one of those, you know, he was so freaking smart, you know, but, but he, he, he could think three steps ahead. Mm. He was, he, his mind was just going, you know, and he, he, saw the value of maneuver warfare right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like, he, he, he didn't need, need to be convinced. And then we stayed, stayed in touch through, throughout our career. And, and Brendan's one of those guys. Brendan's that guy. Mm. Brendan's that guy right, in the right, middle. Right. Brendan's that guy in the middle. Brendan was not afraid to try different things, you know? And we need more Brendans. We mm-hmm. need more guys like that. And, and again, they're gonna, they're gonna try, they're gonna fail some things, but they're gonna push the envelope and they're gonna ask tough questions of the system. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I love him, he's great, you know, and I'm glad he's still involved in what's going on. Yeah. Did you at TBS recognize his maverick-like qualities? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could already tell. Yeah, yeah you, could, you could see that. And there weren't a lot of them, but you, you, could see, you could see it in their eyes. You could see, you know, with the students, that there was some that got it. I mean, that were like, Brent, you know, they got it. You know, there was some that was still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I think it goes to personality. Again, just like here at the War College, you have some guys, you know, write a paper and they'll, I got it. I, I'm, I'm going out. Now other people, no, they want, they, some people want. Give me the checklist. They want safe. I want safe. Give me, give me the checklist. You Which know? is so interesting because if you look at the warfighting philosophy, it's, Stating things like the battlefield is confusing, it's chaotic, mm-hmm. ambiguity is rife. And yet so much of what I think we do in the military is to try to constrain those things mm-hmm. or to put order on them. Mm-hmm. And I do think that certain personality types, I think it was General Mike Myatt who had 1st Marine Division in the Gulf War. He had done... I think it was a Myers-Briggs test with all of his subordinate commanders. Right. And he noticed that those who were more inclined to maneuver warfare, and I, I don't remember all of the different combinations of, of personality types, but they fell into a particular group. You know, right. They were, I think, empathetic. They were sensing. They had a, a creative, artistic bend yeah. to them. And those who were, I won't call them attritionists, but more comfortable, more at ease with the old way of doing more things. More mechanistic. Yeah. You know, again, it's art and science. They, uh, fell, they fell into another sort yeah. of group. And I'm just curious, I mean, do you see... Oh, it, it, I was just having a, a talk with a couple of former battalion commanders, and, and I, don't, I don't know if I sold them on it, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of John Boyd, actually. I could say I drank whiskey, smoked cigars with John yeah, Boyd wow. at, at the base of school. Again, th- that magic time, we had guys like Boyd, General Zinni, you know, Mike Myatt, Wiley, Bill Lind, all, all there. But for those who don't know Boyd, you know, he never wrote a book. He never wrote a lot of things, but he had these fascinating briefings, mm-hmm. end quotes, 
And one of them is the or organic design for command and control. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I had this discussion with some, some of the former battalion commanders. And, and, and I will totally paraphrase and probably bastardize what he said, but he basically says, hey, listen, you can't com command and control nothing. You may think you command things, mm -hmm. you may think you control things in combat, or even in, out in the world there, but you don't. But what you can do is set conditions where you gain appreciation, and then with that appreciation, you provide leadership. And I think that has been something that has stuck with me mm -hmm. a lot from, from Boyd. And I think there's, you have these people that think, think that, and again, I don't know if I totally sold the, the lieutenant colonel. They're like, yeah. wait a minute. And one of them was, one of them was a command and control officer. I felt bad for him. I'm like, yeah. no, we, 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 your, your field's still safe. Right. But, but we just need to realize you cannot command and control anything. But what you can do is appreciate the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think the more leaders understand that my, for me to be effective, I need to appreciate. And that, that could be in garrison. That could be here. I mean, I use it in, in talking with the NDU president here, you know, about... Just, just appreciate the situation and then provide leadership where it needed. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that's, that's been my boydism that stuck with me. What was it like drinking whiskey and smoking <laughs> oh, cigars oh, it, with John? Well, his, his briefings, if you've ever seen him, I mean, for some of your readers, look, look up the videos. He, he was the master of the uh, over, overhead projector, and he would have a pile of them. And I, I can ne I'll never forget sitting in the back with Dutch Schultz, uh, who passed away a few years ago, God rest his soul, but with Dutch Schultz in, in the TBS classroom till like, I think like midnight. It was like eight to midnight at night. And, he, and, and just, it was like astrophysics, but he was, he was getting to a point. It was like, it was incredible. And then after we, we went to the Hawk and it was, he was fascinating. He was, he was fascinating, but he was a total maverick, you know, and, and, and you know, the Air Force totally, you know, set him aside, but he was, he, if you dig into his briefings, they are fascinating. Mm -hmm. And, I've, you know, even here at the War College, I've always wanted to, man, I may, you know, I know there's some folks down at Quantico mm -hmm. I want to get Ian with. Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, 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 I think there's, there's a n nugget there because, you know, in teaching strategy, you know, we put together a primer, which is a good tool, but anytime you do that, I always worry about once something gets written down, then it becomes the way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we should study, study boy. Study Sun Tzu, study, you know, study what you want, but study a lot of things because there's, there's, there's nuggets in there. Mm -hmm. But it, it, he was fascinating. He was fascinating, and uh, I, I still think there's so much on... Uh, I'm glad there's the, 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 the Boyd uh, Society hopefully going to get together next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm glad we're keeping his, his you know, vision and thoughts alive. Yeah, so. and, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Ian Brown. He's written yeah. an excellent book. I, he, he's on my... i got to get together with him, but, you know. Yeah, no, he, he's someone I'd certainly uh, yeah. encourage you to try to bring up here. Roger Turner, who's mm -hmm. now the 1st Marine Division Commanding General, was in your platoon, I right, think. Right, right. You were his SPC. What was it like having him as a brand new officer? No, Roger was great. I mean, you know, uh, we had a great, that, that was my, first, my second platoon, I think. But yeah, Roger, Roger was great, and, and you could see it at that time. But, you know, Roger was, you know, kind of sucked it all in. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was a good, he was, all the other lieutenants respected him. You know, even as a lieutenant, he was sucking it all in. 
you know, and he was learning. He was just he was just a good, solid leader. Yeah. And I'm not at all surprised he is where he is today. Yeah. You know, from from those days. But you know, he's one of the ones. You know, you talk about maybe there's hope. You know, <laughs> in, in the in the future. You yeah. know, and uh, you know, hopefully he can make a difference because I'm sure he'll he'll be in for a while longer. Yeah. You know? So you mentioned earlier. John Kelly, who's the director of IOC, and John Allen, right. who I think replaces him. How much interaction did you have with these two? And if you could talk a little more about the role they played in the kind of maneuver warfare focus changes happening well, they, at TBS. Well, they yes. really, you know, <laughs> Kelly tells a funny story. Like, there was, there was the after Cole, who's a new director of the instructor group. And when I, when I got done with my two tours as a SBC one year, there's always the draft for, you know, everyone wants to go to IFC. Mm. So Kelly was over at IFC and I wanted to, I told him I want to go. And, and, um, one day, um, um, the, the major that was in charge of the instructor group, he pulls me aside. He goes, Hey, I talked to Kelly. Hey, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to make you the patrolling instructor. You're going to stay here. And that, you know, patrolling instructor is great. And I was just a, a new captain. I'm like, Hey, sounds great. I, <laughs> I, I wish I went to IFC. I would have been with Mac and with Kennedy, whatever. Fine. That's great. So it wasn't like 20 years later. I'm at Kelly's, Kelly's for Thanksgiving, and he and he, and he asked me, "Hey, I I always wanted to know why you didn't want to come to IOC." <laughs> so basically, this was a the this a funny the major just kind of doing his play to have yeah, me there, yeah. but but e- even though they were at IOC, you, you know the impact was amazing because mm-hmm. you know I obviously I kept touch with my my students when they were over there, and their impact from IOC on us there was I mean. Was there exchange? There was always the exchange, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you're yeah. aware of this, yeah. but TBS and IOC instructors today don't really talk that much. Yeah. There's no, this no, there's no. this thing where if you are picked from the bullpen or you finish your tours in SBC or a company, so whatever, and you go to IOC, it's kind of the last we see of you. You know, figuratively. People will still talk to some degree, but I certainly remember Yeah you know, while I was there, that there was this kind of wall that appeared. Yeah, that's sad, because it, when but we were there... that wasn't the case when you were no, there. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think, I think in fact, when, when and, and it's all a blur to me now, but I yeah. think, I think when, when Mac and, um, and Kennedy were building the whole instructor education, that was, that was from IOC, but we were all part of it. We mm-hmm. were all TBS instructors. Mm-hmm. We were all at, we were all there under the basic school. Yeah. yeah. And that's unfortunate, and, and and that's where leadership comes in to yeah. just say, folks, come on, man, you know, you're not, you know, we're all in this together, you know, uh, the vehicle we use yeah. to to bring lieutenants into the corps is the you know basic infantry lieutenant, mm-hmm. you know, th- you know the basic skills. Mm-hmm. Why not share? Yeah, you take it to another level. You take you you give them their imperata on that, but if that's happened, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and I, I do remember, I think it was Colonel DeGrossier who tried to get, you know, the instructor groups to, to talk more. And mm-hmm. you know, I remember one day, like the entire IOC cadre coming in. These were all guys I knew. We'd all mm-hmm. worked together when they were in patrolling, urban ops, mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I know talking to some folks who recently left TBS that, again, that sort yeah. of divides. Yeah, it, it's, it's any, any elitism like that is never, never, never good. Agreed. You know, you know, the, the, at least I think we, when we were there and now you had some big heads, but I think there was a humility. There was a, you know, Hey, we're all in this, we're all learning. And, 
Yeah. And I wonder if part of that was the newness of maneuver warfare. Yeah. Because very yeah. few people are walking in to, yeah. you know, IOC yeah. saying, oh, yeah, we, we, we know all of this. So, yeah. you no, know, we're all trying to yeah, figure this out. We're all trying out. to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. Here's a, uh, here's a if you were king question, sir. If you were king, what would TBS and IOC look like? Well, again, I'm I'm very very far far removed mm-hmm. from there. But you know, again, I think I think you, I think you need to. You, 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 what do you want coming out of the basic school? I, I want a lieutenant that you know he, he's grounded in the, some of the sciences. Mm-hmm. All right, so he knows that, but he's been exposed. He's hungry. Mm-hmm. I want I want to plant the seeds where he or she is hungry to learn more about their craft. Mm-hmm. You know, so I want them to embody the philosophy of maneuver warfare, but that takes that takes some things. But I want them hungry, hungry to learn more about their craft. Mm-hmm. And again, not just the science, but about the people side of it, mm-hmm. about about decision making, about you know all the things that we've talked about. So whatever you do at TBS, you need to plant those seeds. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to have the basic. You know, we use the vehicle of the infantry. You know. Platoon commander is kind of the, the 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 vehicle, which I don't think we should I don't think we should ever lose that. But you know, I want them coming out of there confident enough to lead their Marines, mm-hmm. but inquisitive enough to know that man, I don't I need to keep learning. Mm-hmm. I, I want them hungry, mm-hmm. hungry to keep learning, even if they're gonna just serve their time and get out as a captain. Fine, you know, but you never know, mm-hmm. you know. So I want them hungry, and mm-hmm. I think. I think sometimes we don't do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, plant the hunger. So get them excited to learn. Yeah, excited uh, about learning. They leave know? the institution wanting to, yeah. to learn more. Yeah. Would you want to see anything done differently at IOC? I know you said you're, you're far removed, but, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would you, you know, because you're a career infantryman. Right. Is there anything specific, you know, that you would, you would want that school to focus on? Well, I think, I think like, you know, I think again, it's a it's a balance. You, you know, you need you need to have the science. Mm-hmm. You, you need to know the weapon systems. You, you, you know, when you're coming out of IOC, you, you need to know the infantry battalion's mm-hmm. weapon systems inside and out. But you also need to be able to lead Marines. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not all scientific. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know, it's having these kind of decision making, decision forcing exercises. More and more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if they have that. I know they do the, the big exercise out in the desert. Pompex. Yeah, I think, I'm, or, I'm yeah. okay, fine. As long as it gets, as long as, long as it, you know, I'd look at the whole curriculum and just mm-hmm. go, okay, what are we getting out of this Pompex? Because we used to not do it, you know, but I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but make sure that that's value added in terms of a thinking, a imaginative and innovative mm-hmm. lieutenant. Again, I, I some will say, Lieutenant, just shut up, you get in the corner. Right. But I want it. I want lieutenants innovating because right? they shoot that technology that, you know, if we don't allow them to innovate, then we're losing. Yeah. So we just, yeah. we need to, it, it just needs to be a balance of that, sure. you know, and not, not be, not be an elitist, you know, yes, you're an infantryman. Yeah, it's tough to be an infantryman, got it. But yeah, and everyone, should be supporting you, but you know, don't get it. Don't get too hum, big ahead of humble, humble, humble. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so mo moving on from TBS, you served at First LAR. Mm -hmm. You joined John Kelly at, at First LAR Battalion, first as one of his company commanders, and then as his uh, operations officer, right. his S3. I'm curious to know, how did Kelly run the battalion? And could you talk about your experiences as both a, a company commander and then the S3? Well, he, he again, he, he, he lived, breathed, you know, the, the, the war fighting doctrine, you know, and a couple of things, you know, that was sacrosanct was, was the uh, weekly PMEs. You know, mm -hmm. we read a number of books, but one of the most memorable was To Lose a Battle. Now remember, this is after the Gulf War, the victorious Gulf War, mm -hmm. and he had us read To Lose a Battle. And people go, why are we reading this? But if you if you understand that, it's about the French. Mm -hmm. Okay, this French army, victorious in World War One, the changes that they make in, you know, and how that army, the things they thought, how they thought, the assumptions they made, how they, where they spent their resources, mm -hmm. and how they lost in 1940. Yeah, yeah. Alistair Horn, great book. Yeah. But I think that was his point. He, the point he wanted to make is, guys, don't get too cocky, mm -hmm. you know, because we could be the French, mm -hmm. you know. He never said that. Sure. But that was it. So that was kind of the bedrock, you know, so uh, thinking was, about what we're doing. Yeah. But then we had the science. Okay, uh, what do we do with these LEVs? You know, what, what are we doing? And then he did, he did go out on a limb because before I, before I got linked up with a Mew, that eventually went to Somalia. The Mews had tanks, and mm -hmm. maybe they had four, no more than four LAVs, so that platoon that would deploy. And it was fine. Well, you know, I think he was the first one to say, why aren't we sending more light armor? Isn't that a smarter thing to put on ships? Lighter, da 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 da, da. So I got sent over to uh, one nine and, and did the workup, did all that, and, and ended up deploying with them, mm. and um, went to Somalia. So mm. for me, it was it was a, a great, you know, he trusted me, and, and a, a great opportunity, you know. And, and it was the Marine Corps still figuring it out because I should the name changed like three times: yeah. LAV Battalion, LAI, I, I, Light Armored Infantry, <laughs> right. and your Light Armored Reconnaissance, right, you know, right. change the color, you know, whatever. So they they were just figuring it out, like what the heck are we doing? What was it like going from? Three seven, straight leg infantry. Mm -hmm. You go to TBS. You're doing patrolling mm -hmm. for for quite a bit, and you go to these army courses, mm -hmm. I believe. But now you're in this new kind of weird kind of yeah. Different... It was, like I said, the first, the first, the first of my like you know, you know, exciting times with a new thing. Yeah. You know, because you know the Marine Corps is kind of figuring it out. Yeah. So it was. It was, you know, and I, I look back at some of the things I did, but, you know, like, do we need, you know, in, in, the, ar in the Army, this would be a cavalry kind of thing, mm -hmm. like a scout kind of thing. Does the Marine Corps need that? I don't know. We experimented with that. You know, why do we have LAVs? Mm -hmm. why, you know, do we, is it just we didn't, is, you know, it, it was just experimenting with, with that. So it was, it was an exciting time. You know, it, kind of writing the history of that, and it was interesting. We were on the coast. We were doing the UDPs. You had Mike McNamara and the the guys in Cole, mm -hmm. uh, Ray Cole, out in the desert with Third LAR doing a different thing, mm -hmm. the whole Wolfpack thing. And then you had the Second LAR on the East Coast doing that thing. So it's it, you had a kind of us all kind of experimenting with different pieces and parts. Did you see the warfighting philosophy and LAVs? just a a perfect match oh yeah yeah it could be because it's it is so much i mean you're out there mm -hmm. you know there's there's not 
not a lot of way to control it. So you're 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 really you're really out there. And you know the idea that Kelly brings in you know Sonny Liston, a, a Cobra pilot. Yeah, would you talk? You know, about? which was which to me was like brilliant. Yeah. It, it, but it's again risk taker. You know, you know, you know. The safe bet would have been, oh, it's an XO. It's, this is a infantry battalion future. But it made sense because if you look at the mission of the Cobra, the Cobra it's pretty vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's got some pretty hefty firepower. What does it do? It's eyes and ears kind of mm -hmm. out there. So the the, the the symbiotic relationship was was really good. So it was great. So and, John and Kelly brings in a Cobra, Cobra pilot, pilot to be XO. the battalion XO. Yeah, it's. It, Did you? I mean, you're you're you know eventually you're the S three. Yeah, it was the this time. Of, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, did you notice any benefits or differences in how the battalion run now that you had a pilot? As oh, yeah, yeah. F philosophically, you know, the, what he brought to the table. Again, you know, here we are. We're, we're just trying to figure out what we are, yeah. you know. And did he have all the answers? No. But it brought a different perspective, mm -hmm. you know. And, and it, you know, everything from maintenance because, mm. you know, we're a bunch of grunts. What's this maintenance thing? Right, and, right. You know, and aviation has a very heavy. So how you take care of that science part of it, right. but also just the employment. And so it was. It was great. It was a great. It was. Um, we had him, and then um, we had another pilot. Um, but but it was great. It was yeah. a great idea. But again, outside the box, innovative thinking. Did you see increased integration between oh, yeah. Cobras and? Oh yeah. And yeah, because he had. I mean, that's the natural people part right, of it. He right. had the connection. So we we just had a lot more, you know, interaction. Sure. And they saw the value. We saw the value, you know, because so a symbiotic again, relationship. If you go to maneuver warfare, unlike, you know, the a, you know, a regiment, it's a very dispersed, decentralized yeah. operational style. Yeah. You know, even when I was the OPSO, you know, there was never it was always <laughs> you know even even though we had multiple companies out there, they were to the winds. Right, you didn't right. not you don't see them. They're right. out there. You know, we talked about manpower earlier. How did Kelly manage, from a manpower perspective, to fill that XO slot with a pilot? And I, I to this day, I don't know. Because I, I, I wonder, you know, could would that fly today? No, I don't know. Intended? I don't know. But but you know, he did have time and manpower, and you know, he made it happen. Right. You know, so you deploy to Somalia with a company minus right. of uh, LER vehicles and you're with one nine. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? It was, well, um, there was some leadership challenges, but we'll, we'll leave that there. But uh, Sam Mundy was mm -hmm. the three alpha mm -hmm. and Lou Craparato was the weapons company commander. So okay. we had, I had some heavyweights to work with yeah. who were great. And it was great. I mean, we were, you know, we had a standard deployment. We were supposed to go to Okinawa. We were supposed to go to Hong Kong. We were supposed to go to Singapore and mm -hmm. do some training. We were going to go to the Gulf um, and do some training exercises. It was a six-month deployment. Mm -hmm. But as we were passing Vietnam, we were getting reports from Somalia. Things were going south. The evening that we were pulling into Singapore, the whole Black Hawk Down, that was the 4th of October, oh, wow. that happened. So we were getting live reports, and we, no kidding, we're supposed to pull up to the port. We're supposed to do a change of command for our ship. I was on the comp stock. No kidding, we didn't even pull into port. We saw the P-51 
pier with the people on it in a little celebration. They flew the new commander out, they flew the old commander back, and we beelined it across the I.O., wow. did our shellback thing, and then mm-hmm. we, we got to Somalia, and we were there a few days later and uh, hit the deck, and things got kind of quiet. What, um, what did the maneuver warfare philosophy look like on the ground? I mean, were you guys trying to employ war fighting? I know it was. It, it, yeah, I, th- I think I think so. And you had Luke Raparato, who was a you know you know one of the leaders there. So yeah, we we tried, but it was a very strange kind of environment. Mm-hmm. You know, our our missions were to it was basically be presence, be security, but a lot of times we were just there and, and we did some training. You know, just. To, to stay fresh, but mm-hmm. also just a, a presence. So I think imparted in what I was doing was maneuver warfare. Mm-hmm. I tried to impart it in my, my folks. And, you know, being in the, the, the vehicles, and, you know, you have to do that, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you, your vehicles are spread out mm-hmm. all over the place. So, mm-hmm. Sir, I, I'd now like to turn to your time at Manpower. So following your time at First LAR, you are up for a B-billet, mm-hmm. and John Kelly, as, as I understand it, convinces you to go to Manpower mm-hmm. for that B-billet. How did he convince you, and you know, what did you learn there? Well, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for General Kelly. So, like, he, you know, again, you're just a, I'm a newly, newly selected major, so I know everything. And, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, your life up to this point is all tactics and operations. Mm-hmm. So if I have to go at Headquarters Marine Corps, I need to go to... The, the the place with the O in it, PPNO, because mm-hmm. that they, they run it. And right. he, he he tapped me down and said, you know, the Marine Corps doesn't operate anything. They man, train, and equip. That's what they do. And the PPNO, they track a lot of things. But if you really want to be a future leader to take care of your, your Marines, then you need to understand manpower. Mm-hmm. And so go to manpower. Mm-hmm. So roger that. And uh, I was cursing when I first got there because I, 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 I get there and they say, you go into this thing called MPP-60. Now, what the heck is that? And it was manpower plans, which kind of the, there's an exciting part of manpower. That's the MM. That's where all the monitors are. And it's tough life, but, but you're in the kind of execute mode. Mm-hmm. You're like assigning people to go to school, mm-hmm. go to command, go to whatever. But then there's the not so fun part, the plans, MP plans, where you do like it's all PA, it's all people that have gone to Monterey. They're really smart guys. The work numbers and how many people we can assess, how many people we can promote, <laughs> so forth. Well, and this is when Manpower was over up in the annex. So there's this little shop called MPP60, full of uh, AR Marines, Active Reserve, and Sail. And I'm like, what the heck is this? What am I supposed to do here? Well, you're filling a, a Monterey billet because, you know, your record, you know, you're pretty smart and mm-hmm. you can do this Monterey thing. Mm-hmm. So I became like a mobilization planner. So I'm like, and this is after the Gulf War and kind of lessons learned from mobilization. And we had a contractor that did like casualty studies. So we had the Korea plan and what are the casualties and how we do the replacements. It was not fun. It was, I was like, oh my God. But I was like, I guess... Kelly told me to be here, so I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, so yeah. I did my best. So luckily, about like three months into the job, my old boss at 3-7, Pete Osmond, was now MM. He was director MM, one star. And he said, come on up to my office. I need to, need to talk to you. And um, he was looking for the, the current uh, GOMO, general officer mm-hmm. monitor, was going to command staff, and he needed to replace me. So 
he knew me. I was his 81 platoon commander. He he, he had in, implicit trust in me. So luckily, I went up there. So I said bye to MPP 60. Kept tabs with them. I felt you know it's a, it's a good thing to know because mm -hmm. the reserve thing comes back to me. And then I uh, for two years I was the GOMO working for General Krulak. Worked for General Osman, but basically did all the slating, the nominations, the retirements, the, uh, I had to become an expert in general officer manpower rules and regulations. So that when, when, when the commandant wanted to, I want to send, you know, General Murray to this billet, I could say, okay, he can go, he can't go right. because of this law, this thing, whatever. So that's what I did for, and it was, it was an eye opening because I got to meet like, all the all the new General Dunford, General Mattis, General you know all, Nate Zinni, all of them coming through my office you know as new new one stars. I was just a go. I was helping them out. I was helping them out. This must have been kind of an amazing, but also revealing experience oh, yeah. interacting with all these guys. Oh yeah. I mean, what did you learn from? Because you're a major, right? Oh, it was as long as I kept my humility in check. <laughs> It was a great learning opportunity. And I also had the opportunity, the um, Sergeant Major of MM was Sergeant Major Jim Lewis, and then Sergeant Major Lee was Krulak Sergeant Major. All the majors used to go over the gym. This is when it was, again, we were in the annex across the street was the gym. It would all PT at lunch. But I, I glommed on to what my predecessor had done, and I used to PT with them every day run around Arlington and it what you want to talk about a learning and I was just key I was just the, the major keeps his mouth shut listen to the two star majors but it was great it was great but it was also being again kind of like TBS but now you were all majors mm -hmm. all kind of doing different things in headquarters Marine Corps when mm -hmm. we were up on the hill but again doing my thing I was doing for, for Krulak a lot of you know again tactical lessons learned about writing and in, in doing nomination packages mm -hmm. and whatever but just, you know, kind of working, 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 working it through, so. Is it at Manpower where you have, I guess, enlightenment or revelation that you can't do maneuver warfare as an organization unless the Manpower system is set up? Is that fair to say? Well, no, no, I, I, I always, ha I knew it from back at TBS, but now that I was in Manpower, I, I always tried to, like, think about it, and it's such... It's such a hard nut to crack. Mm -hmm. But because I learned all the laws in Dotman, whatever, I learned, hey, like I just I said earlier, you know, this isn't gonna be the General Berger fixing this. Mm -hmm. This is gonna be this is gonna be someone in Congress saying, fix this. Mm -hmm. And until they say fix this, we're our hands are tied. Mm -hmm. We're we're just not gonna be able to do so much. Mm -hmm. You know. So I'd like to ask a few general questions on maneuver warfare and the Marine Corps. Could you talk about the, from your perspective, the conditions that allowed, that fostered maneuver warfare to develop in the first place? Well, I think, you know, you go back, you go, somebody gave Al Gray the freedom to do what he did. You know, and somebody, you know, gave him, who would have taken a, you know, a four-star general, he grabs a captain, Schmidt, like, yeah. hey, write this, you know, and grabs a guy like Lind. And so th there had to be some conditions there. And maybe, it, again, 
we're only talking 10, 15 years after Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think those conditions kind of set the seeds and then he becomes commandant. And again, even though he's a commandant, he was limited in what he could do, but he forced that to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think the timing was just right because the military was getting better. Mm -hmm. we, we were getting healthy. If you look back in the late 70s, it was not healthy. Mm -hmm. And or, or, you know, Reagan comes in, the Reagan buildup, we're getting healthy. It was just kind of the right, the sweet spot, mm -hmm. the right time. And I think the leadership, again, if you look at the leaders at the time, where they were, the colonels were all Vietnam, and obviously the generals were all Vietnam mm -hmm. veterans. So, you know, they were now, who had led in the back end of that part, so they knew, I think they, they it was just the, the conditions were right mm. that we need a change to, to make it happen. And I think that's, that's the best I can say about how, sure. how that happened. It's a unique time. So you see sort of a confluence of conditions or circumstances. Right. But as you know, I mean, you experienced this. There were a lot of people who resisted. Oh, yeah. What do you think was driving that resistance? Well, I, it's kind of like the general that sits on the board and picks a, picks a general that looks just like him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this worked for me. The training I got at the basic school, the training I got at AWS, whatever. Right. It worked for me, it'll work for you. You right. just aren't giving it time. You're a radical. Mm -hmm. I think you just have some people that, again, I go back to here, you know, give me the checklist, mm -hmm. I just need a checklist, and I'm fine. You know, show me the science. It's the art and the science. A sure. lot of people don't like art, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and art, can, you can be too artsy and not know the, the, the science. Sure. It's having, a, it's like anything in life, it's a balance. What was your reaction to the publication of FMFM1 Warfighting? I mean, when you first read this, did you go, what? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, again, that, that was, we were given that as SBCs. We were given the Australis case study who said, go teach, you know. And um, no, it was, it was fascinating. I have copies that are so, got so many notes in them, you know, they're all tabbed, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think it was, this makes sense. But it, it took a little while to get the philosophy part, to get, to, to, for it to sink in. Because again, remember where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm coming from the, here's the manual, follow the manual. And right. you start reading it and like, this isn't like a manual. Wait right. a minute. This, right. It's this, not a how-to. What? Yeah. I don't, there's no, you know. So there was that transition as you're kind of reading it and just making it part of, capturing the philosophy, just internalizing the philosophy. It took a little bit of time. You talked earlier about John Boyd and your experiences with him. I'm curious, did you have any interactions with some of the other kind of maneuver warfare luminaries, someone like Bill Lynn? Oh yeah, Bill, my whole time when I was at headquarters Marine Corps from 95 to 98, every Friday night we met at Bill's house. There was a group of us and we, uh, we had collectively worked on, you know, kind of a paper on the future of the, the military mm -hmm. and um, I'll, I'll find it somewhere. It was, instead of, we would talk about professional military education being like, you know, this was really living professional military mm. education. Every, you know, like for, for Friday night, you know, my wife had little kids, but I would just, you know, on my way home from headquarters Marine Corps, I'd take a left on Duke Street or King Street and go to his house mm -hmm. and we'd all meet there. And um, it was really cool. It was really, 
What was your initial impression of this guy? No military experience. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, you want to talk about? You want to talk about like? And Bill, Bill was a lightning rod, because Bill purposely kind of you know lays it in there. And there were there were some people that were like, "Who the heck is this guy? He doesn't know. He he's just a germophile. He just loves the Germans." Da 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 da. But you know, I would always just say, just hey, just listen to him. Mm-hmm. Listen to what he has to say, and then get into the debate. You know, you don't have to agree with everything he says, but it's about the thought. It's about the thought. It's about taking risks. You know. Wow, bring in a guy like him and bring him to, to TBS and have him talk to lieutenants. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was risky. That was, was a lot of, you know, it, but again, there, there, was a, there was a, Bill was a lightning rod. The Van Riper brothers, Paul and Jim, wrote a pretty lengthy letter criticizing Bill for some of his, uh, I think, recent writings and his um, characterizations of, of the Marine Corps today as being mm-hmm. non-thinking and so on and so forth. I think you've told me in the past that, you know, Bill is kind of a, a contradiction of sorts because although he preached maneuver warfare. Oh, the, the, his approach, the way Bill like would sell a, a, a maneuver warfare was totally attritionist. <laughs> he would be like, in your face, here it is. Yeah. You know, like re, read the writings yesterday. Even it's just, there's nothing subtle about mm-hmm. it. There's nothing indirect about it. Mm-hmm. He's very direct with it. But I, you need a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I, I think some people that galvanize to learn yeah. more and other people I think it just completely yeah. turned them off and they yeah. said yeah, yeah. don't want yeah. to have anything to do yeah. with this do you think the Marine Corps employed maneuver warfare in the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan and whether they did or didn't did they use it later on when those those places you know saw insurgencies arise yeah I, I think I think if you look at the march up I mean it, it definitely was a was in many respects, school book example, mm-hmm. you know, just, hey, you know, press, press to, to the center of gravity, press to Baghdad and, and accept risk, you know, with your flanks and with your rear. And, and we paid a price with some of that, but um, I, I definitely think we do. You know, the, the first, the, the go into Afghanistan, I think, yes, I think some, um, I was just talking to someone the other day about Mattis's order to go into Afghanistan. It was very maneuver warfare-like, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that was true. I think later on, I, well, I think the Anbar awakening, I think was, I think a lot of what happened on the ground was was some good, good small unit initiative in the success that we had there. So, without getting too specific with it, I, I think it was definitely an example. But I do think, you know, later on, specifically in Afghanistan, you know, I'd go down at what was happening in Helmand. You know, I, I think our hands were tied. I think the way we were approaching it was, you know, was wrong, and we were just never going to win there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've got some thoughts on how we could have, but I just think it was hard to do that. I mean, because we were, we were trying to execute a mission, we were trying to survive, but it's there was so many din- dynamics beyond our control that it, that it became probably too difficult. Mm-hmm. But I do think on the small unit level, and I, I did not, most of my time was with ISAFSOC and with the task force, mm-hmm. not with the Marines. You know, from what I saw, you know, visiting Dave Furness on the ground there is, by nature, it had it, they had to practice maneuver mm-hmm. warfare because they were just so dispersed, mm-hmm. you know. Here's something I'd like to get your view on, and that's what is maneuver warfare, what does the warfighting philosophy look like in garrison? 
Oh, to, to me, to me, it's it's about trust. It's about you know empowering the, the the junior Marines to do things and holding them accountable. But but it is about trust. It's not about some of the old ways. You know you know trust them. But it would be interesting to talk to Dave Furness about it because mm-hmm. some of the the things that he got into. But I think that's kind of the flip of it. Yeah, I won't say that's anti-maneuver for attritionist. It's like, hey, you know, trust but verify. You know, mm-hmm. like if, if you're if you're not doing it, then th- there's there's a time for the hammer to come down. Inspect what you expect. Yeah, in- yeah. inspect what you expect. But I, I think there's definitely a place. I mean, if you don't, if with, with maneuver warfare, war fighting as a philosophy, if you don't live it every day, then it's not some. It's not a switch you can turn on. Mm. You really, really, really got to live it. Mm-hmm. You know, like just in my job here right now is the, the chief of staff of the War College here. You got a small staff, but it's about empowering them. It's mm-hmm. it's about you're not trying to control everything. Just hey, go do this, do this, do this. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and just here's my intent. You know, students got to be supported. Boom. You know. So you're mentioning empowerment. You're mentioning trust. What do you think about our recruit training and? You know how it prepares or you know develops young men and women into Marines. Does that process help or hinder us in getting them to understand and execute maneuver mm-hmm. warfare? I think I have. That's always been a something I've looked to that I can't solve. Mm-hmm. You know because we got to make what we do at the recruit depots is so important to making Marines. I think it's just it's very important. There's a, there's a breakdown that has to happen, break the civilian, mm. you know, make them Marines. Mm. And, and, and that has to happen. But somehow we need to kind of plant those seeds that, hey, that, that this isn't all being told what to do about you being a thinker. I, I read recently, this is at the infantry training school, that they're, they're, they're introducing chess and things like yeah, that. And I'm yeah. like, I've never been a fan of chess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not a chess player, but I just know that there are rules and there are like, you can and can't do. And that scares me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know Go, but I know Go is probably a little bit more mm-hmm. like dynamic. I don't know if I want my, my, my troops playing chess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, okay, you could think three steps ahead, but that's within a rule set. Right. The world ain't like that. Right. You know, the, the I mean, world. There, there is... are a set number of moves right. that you yeah. can do in this, and it's yeah. highly constrained. And I think that came out of the Infantry Marine Corps at SOI West. Right. And I think some of the claims that have been pushed as far as what chess does for, let's say, your ability to to think critically or to problem solve, a little specious. Uh, I I don't know. I've got the same, you know. But what I would like to see, uh, I'd like to see them playing war games. Right. Right. Give me a Kriegspiel. Yeah, do do something like that where, again, put them in a dilemma, Mm -hmm. you know, and then talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's your dilemma. What, what what decision you make? Why do you make that decision? Right. Again, I don't have enough data on recruit training. I think a big part of it is making making Marines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you need to do that. But that Marine that's built needs to be needs to be innovative thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, needs to still follow rules. Needs to be a Marine, mm-hmm. but also needs to have that other that other seed planted in them. So this that, comes back yeah. to the balance that you right, were talking right. about. Yeah. If we could, sir, I'd like to talk about your time with Special Operations mm-hmm. Forces. So from August 2006 to November 2008, you're the commanding officer of the Marine Special Operations Advisor Group. What was this unit, and what did your duties entail? 
Well, it started out, it, again, a shotgun marriage between, you know, when Rumsfeld pulled uh, the commandant and, and General Brown, the SOCOM commander said, you need more forces, you need Marines. And, and in personal discussion with General Brown and later with Admiral Olson, you know, what was needed was foreign internal defense. It was not, it was not the hard skills, it was those soft skills. So we started out as a foreign military training unit, then a special operations advisor group, and then it became the regiment and the rest is the Raiders and that rest is, is history. Our first task was to, okay, what are our missions gonna be? And it was, it was on the periphery. It wasn't Afghanistan, it wasn't Iraq at, at first. It was, it was this other piece, which I think is very important. So it was foreign internal defense. It was going working with partner nation militaries, mm -hmm. a lot of times they're higher end and um, training them, mm -hmm. you know, to defend their, you know, to provide security. So um, I think, you know, at one point we had seven different languages. Um, I had my highest, my Russian and Arabic speaking teams. We had uh, Bahasa for Indonesia, mm. the, the Southwest Pacific. We had uh, French speaking teams. We had Spanish speaking teams in South America. So we were kind of all over the globe in different places and it was to fill in that. And then eventually, the missions to uh, Iraq and, Af and mostly Afghanistan started, mostly with again you had you had the three three units you had the two former force recon, now first and second MSAW, very much skilled in the hard in the in the direct action mm -hmm. skills, and then we were the um, you know more fit orientation. Then it all got kind of magnolated into the regiment and um, with a lot of focus on Afghanistan. The guys did some hero heroic stuff in Afghanistan. You know. What were some of the challenges that you experienced while commanding this unit? Well, I think I think it, and, and it, I think it comes around to the, like to today and kind of some of the failures is time is a limiting factor, and you you, you have all the training you want to do. And not to denigrate or take anything away from the, the direct action skills, and this was always, this is what it came down to. How much time do you focus on the direct action, the, the killing piece, and how much time do you focus on the softer skills, the, the language, mm -hmm. the finding balance for those two is very important. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at, I, you look at where we failed, I mean, and this is going to come back. We think, we think, Afghanistan or Iraq, gonna, it's going to be bad. Right. Yeah. But think about a world. Think about a world in, in a, even Afghanistan. If every unit there was a two-two, Daria Pashtu speaker, I don't know if we could do it. But think about it. Mm. Think about it. If we were we went a smaller footprint mm. and we truly understood what was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I went to visit Dave's Dave's guys and they were Dave Furness guys in, in Hellman when I was with um, ISAF saw and uh, you know they were they were doing heroic things. Mm -hmm. They didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. Did they really know the? Did they, did they really know it? This this reminds me. I was talking to Tony Zinni the other day and I was asking him about Afghanistan and our withdrawal from that place. And he was telling me that I think he had done a an assessment maybe around 2011. Mm -hmm for, um, I think it was Mattis, maybe John Allen. And he says, you know, doing my research and talking to people, it wasn't a 10-year war. It was 10 one-year wars. Absolutely. And we just kept, we just kept starting over. And, and, and we didn't, we, again, think about, 
if we if we could have taken the, the time, energy, resources that we put into like a JSOC, mm-hmm. and we put that into maybe maybe some very targeted, you know, capable combat forces, but that spoke the language mm-hmm. and truly understood everything. Mm-hmm. How different it would have been, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I like to say my criticism of the pullout and everything in Afghanistan, to use a quote from David Hackworth, he he used to use the term out chi the G mm-hmm. when he when he was fighting guerrillas. Mm-hmm. I, I think we never we never got it that we needed to out Taliban the Taliban. And there's probably people that will disagree with that. But I'm not talking just from a security perspective. I'm talking about truly understanding the non-centralized, the decentralized, what was important to the people in the, in the postage stamp that we, we were responsible for, mm-hmm. let's say helmet, mm-hmm. you know, and really breaking it down so we understood not only security, but what's, what's the system of justice? Mm-hmm. Are we imposing an right. alien system of justice? What's the jerga? How can we out Taliban the Taliban and all that? Mm-hmm. You know, in all those things, mm-hmm. you can't do that if you don't speak the language. Now, there's, and we used to get in this all the time. I've got an interpreter. Don't. No. Then you develop a relationship with that interpreter. You don't develop it. So this is hard. This is hard. But if you're going to go into this again, that's how you win. So you truly understand what's happening. We did it. And then again, analogies are good, but sometimes bad. But Colombia persistent presence you know we had now there we have a lot of Spanish speakers mm-hmm. we could do it but that was part of our success you know the soft teams small presence there for a long time and and they were successful I'm not saying we could have made Afghanistan Colombia mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is if we just had more of a truly localized smaller mm-hmm. footprint then I think we could have if we t- truly focused on out Taliban and the Taliban you know, if, if we could take, you know, the, the, the capabilities we have on the high end, the direct action capability, which was awesome. It was awesome. But where did it get us mm-hmm. at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Now, if we had done that, would we have been in the same place? I don't know. But you know what? I think we would have had a lot of people that would have heard what was happening in a, in a, in a more direct manner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understood what was going on. Yeah, that, that, that would be an interesting kind of alternative it's future hard. to look at. It's it's freaking hard. You know, I, I'd shake my head. And I, I love the soft people I did, had the honor to work with in the, in the two tours I was there, but it's easy to grow a beard and long hair. It's freaking hard to learn the language. Mm-hmm. But it's easy, again, we grew a lot of long, we grew a lot of long hair and a lot of beards, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really understand the people we were with. And we know that in fights like this, culture counts. I mean, yeah. culture counts regardless, but I think it's especially important Absolutely. that your people know the language, the customs, not just, not just um, you know, for the region or, or the area, but locally. Yeah, you know. everything. And you don't, and believe me, I am not saying you, you draw the line. There's some things you don't accept. Mm-hmm. But unless you understand the language, the culture, the people, you know, then you know where and, okay, hey, we don't do that. Okay, I'll buy that. But I just, I think, I, I used to just shake my head when I would see the, wherever it was, the soft forces, the Afghan soft forces in the Toyota pickups with the, the uniforms on. I'm like, it just, it made me cringe because I was like, that's not what we need. What they need, we need to, 
out Taliban the Taliban on our terms. Would you talk more about that, this idea of creating the Afghan forces in our image? Oh, you know, in, in the high-end ones, you know, the high-end, which, which were great units, but they looked just like an American unit. And mm-hmm. I'm like, really? Is that really what they need here? Mm-hmm. What do they need? Mm-hmm. What does this nation need? And I think we learned that. You know, what do they need? And don't make them in our image, which is what we did. Mm-hmm. We made them in our image. Don't, you know, give them capability, but a capability that is sustainable. Right. You know, and, 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 there's and it's gonna, appropriate for that. There's going to be compromise and there's going to be risk, you know, but don't, you know, again, all, all we needed to do was, again, when I say out Taliban, the mm-hmm. Taliban, we just need to be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. We need to be a little bit better, a little bit more effective, a little bit more providing a little bit more security, providing a little bit more right justice, providing a little bit more for the people that, you know, just just a step ahead. Yeah. You know, instead, we didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. If we could, sir, I'd like to talk about your time. This was from January 2013 to August 2013. You were the chief of staff of a special operations task force in Afghanistan. Yes. Um, you've, I think, alluded to it here and there, but could you talk about your experiences during the uh, employment? And what was your assessment of our efforts in, in Afghanistan then? That was definitely more focused on the direct action piece mm-hmm. from the high, the, the highest end. Mm-hmm. And... and Surgical. It was surg. It was it was incredible the capabilities we have. And I remember, you know, saying, I think the analogy I used, we have a, um, you, you know, we have a million dollar weed eater, you know, that is just knocking the hell out of the weeds in the lawn. But then we're going to Kmart to plant the seeds. We're getting the cheapest seeds we mm-hmm. can get. We may plant them or we may not. So we're we're knocking the weeds down, but we're not we're not planting the seeds, you know. And, and it was a it was a tough problem. And the task force was executing its mission. It was its mission. But if we take a step back and go, man, if we could have that kind of time, energy, focus, and just hitting the the other targets mm-hmm. that aren't killing, mm-hmm. then we could probably be there. And as we go forward, I mean, I, I think we have a very good killing machine, but. You know, it was Admiral Olson that would say, "You can't kill your way to victory." But mm-hmm. I think, I think, we got to reassess and go. We need that capability, but we, we're missing something. Yeah. We're missing, we're missing another part. Now, we're we're laser focused on China, which I think is wrong. I think, I think, I think, um, we we need to be focusing on being the best nation, being a global leader, hands down. I, I think we need to be careful about shifting trails to everything about China mm-hmm. because there's going to be something else out there. Mm-hmm. We need to be ready for it. And all this counts in that. You know. I'd definitely like to uh, get to your thoughts on yeah. Force Design 2030 yeah. in China here in a moment. Before we leave Afghanistan, would you comment on our withdrawal from that country? And did you see this coming? What was your reaction to the images and, and videos coming out of uh, Kabul? Monday morning quarterbacking. I do think Mistakes were made. I do think from a planning perspective, and I wasn't behind the curtain, so I don't know the options that were, were briefed and this and that, but I do think I know how the enemy thinks, and I think they know certain things. One thing I wouldn't have done is abandon Bagram, because as long as Bagram was there, they would know that there were some capabilities there. As long as you had the UAVs, as long as you had the strike force capability, if I'm the Taliban, hmm, I know hmm, I may... Uh, it, I may not have as much freedom of maneuver, 
And um, I think Maza Sharif, same thing. So I, I think I would have kept three three bases just just to keep my my options open. Mm -hmm. And 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 the focus isn't, you know, it, it's somehow became protecting the military. It, the military is there to protect the you know, the, our, our Afghan allies and in, in, in our the Department of State and mm -hmm. and the other other entities that are there. So I think we I think we made some assumptions that. Um, Kind of proved wrong, mm -hmm. um, but I would I would have kept Bargram to the end. I would have kept Maj to the end, and then I'm not naive. All many decisions from the the president's authority are have a political aspect. You know, we Franklin Roosevelt decided to invade North Africa when he did, very much tied to the 1942 congressional elections. Mm. So this is not new, but I think the timing could have been better, mm -hmm. whether earlier or later. Now, if you waited from a purely non-political perspective, probably the best time to do any action would have been probably about now, maybe a month from now, because mm. now you're getting out of the fight season, right. you're getting into the winter. Mm. I don't care. They would not have done what they did in the winter. However, all the hope of the would have been going on with our elections happening uh, this year. But you look this year, okay, what, what elections are happening? I, I, it, this, this isn't a big year mm -hmm. for congressional elections mm -hmm. and so forth. So I don't, under, I don't buy that whole that, that piece. I think they could have, could have just, and, and waiting isn't waiting forever. Mm -hmm. It's waiting and doing the decision at a time of your choosing. And then slowly get the people out and have a more measured way to do it, but also keeping that capability, mm. keeping that capability to the end, keeping the strike capability to the end. Maybe that's the last thing you pull out, but it's, and you protect it with everything you have, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe you bring those 6,000 people in and you put them around Bagram. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and then just say, come and get me, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, that's, that's my, my two cents on it. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective, sir. Uh, we're on our, our home stretch, I think. Sir, I'd like to now get into Force Design 2030 and the Marine Corps' focus on China. We'll start with this question. What are your thoughts on Force Design 2030? Yeah. Did the Marine Corps in the 30s focus on Japan alone? I think, I think part of them did. Remember, there was two, two schools of thought. There was the amphibious school, and mm -hmm. then there was the Haiti, the, mm -hmm. indirect, uh, the, the, small wars. the small wars school. So it wasn't until the war started that they kind of figured that out. But they did a lot of good things. So I think part of me says what, what General Berger's doing is good. But I think you got to take a step back and look at the world. And you got to, got to, it's kind of like you're Bill Belichick. And if I'm Bill Belichick, am I just looking at the Buffalo Bills? And that's all I'm worrying about, the Buffalo Bills. And maybe he is because they lost last night. But um, no, he, he, he focuses on winning. Do your job and win. When I see some of the writings, I go, hmm, I think you're focusing way too much on the near-term threat being mm -hmm. China. I think you got to think about the Marine Corps long-term. Mm -hmm. Now, divesting of tanks, gutsy move. You know, probably don't need them. But I, I don't say don't need them because of China. I don't see them because of the future, future conflicts, mm -hmm. future world. Mm -hmm. But you need to do that. Now, I think if, if General Berger were here, he'd say, this isn't all about China. All right, fine. But, you know, all this whole island... I mean, it sounds but, like it's pretty, it sounds, pretty much about it was China. Silent, you know, <laughs> missiles, the anti-ship. I'm like, 
that ain't, you know, I think you've got to have a force that's flexible, any climb, any place. Don't ever forget that. What, one of my major concerns with this is it appears where gearing up to deter and, you know, potentially defeat Chinese aggression in the Pacific. But if I'm China, I'm not going to fight that right. fight. I'm going to, I'm going to start insurgencies or, or support insurgencies in Africa, in right. South America, in Asia. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, the U.S. has just shown that yeah. we, we really don't like right. uh, Afghanistan's and Iraq's, and, right. and they know we don't like Vietnam. So where where are you going to exactly? So that's what I get worried about. Is, is you're, you're really you, you, you're building you're building a, a watch, a very a very tailor made mm-hmm. element. You know, maybe it's just that regiment, but man, I'm like, hmm, you know, I don't I don't I don't. Something inside me says I want a more flexible force. Right. I really want a more flexible force. That doesn't look like a flexible force. Now, the whole thing about we want elite infantry yeah. doesn't everybody. Yeah. But I go, you you really got to do a a, man, a global manpower study. What's the pool? What's the pool of 17 to 21 year olds that mm-hmm. are a willing to enlist? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then B are going to have. Or let, let's let's change that. Let's say it's not 17 to 21. I want older, older recruits right, which now. Is, which is where... Oh, yeah. wait a minute. Who's, who's eating those? Like the soft community. Right. So you're going into a competition with yourself because Marsoc wants those guys. The soft community wants those guys. Now, what's, what's the market study telling mm-hmm. Because I think, I think you're, you may be asking for too much because I do know the reason soft is successful is they can assess and select they can kick people out. I don't know the latitude the Marine Corps has. I, I think putting 17 to 21 year olds, putting non-assessed and selected people in these very dispersed, soft-like roles mm-hmm. can, uh, I worry, because mm-hmm. there's a reason a soft has assessment and selection the way they do because they need to put a lot of faith and trust in these elements that are very, whether they're fed, they're, they're, they're dispersed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Marine Corps can get there. Mm-hmm. I, maybe they can, maybe they can, but. I mean, know. I know they're certainly trying, as far as the infantry goes, with things like the Infantry Marine Corps, you know, we were talking about yeah. earlier, um, what they're doing at SY West, they're doing at SY East now, but. I, you can't I, teach maturity. Well, and, and I wonder, I hope we see improvements with these courses, but I wonder if the improvements are going to be on the margins yeah, and they're yeah. really not, you know, we yeah. get a better Marine and that's awesome. And, you know, maybe we can teach them more stuff sooner, faster, but if they're still 18, they're still right. 18. And you look at what, you look at what the, the army and I found with their x-ray program, you know, mm. that you can't teach maturity. You can't teach wisdom. You can't teach what comes from years of experience. Yeah. And a 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old is a 17, 18, 19-year-old, hands down. Mm-hmm. You know, got a lot of mistakes to make. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you, you know, are you willing to, to have that? Maybe, I, I may be wrong. Yeah. I may be wrong that, that maybe, maybe some magic sauce out there. But, yeah, I, I hope yeah. we're both wrong. Yeah. I, I hope that, yeah. you know, the changes that, you know, Berger yeah. and, and um, his generals and colonels are, are making. Yeah you know, produce yes. this amazing infantry that, that is able to do all this stuff. Yeah, I just, I just worry with the whole, I think the anti-ship is a, ta- is a mission, is a tactic, is a, but I'm like, okay, what else? Yeah. What, what else, 
what else does our nation need from its Marine Corps? Does our nation need that? Mm-hmm. You know, and really unpack that and say, what does our nation need from its Marine Corps? Well, I think Tony Zinni has made the case that we should remain, the Marine Corps should remain the kind of Swiss Army knife yeah. of the nation, yeah. right? We, If you need us to punch above our weight, we'll be Absolutely. able to do that. If you need us to punch below, if you need us to do, you know, in one week a NEO, the next week, you know, patrolling in the streets of some capital that's just seen a coup and we're trying to right. help restore the agility we need the agility yeah we need to have the agility and i and i just i i I read some of that stuff and i see that agility going away Mm -hmm. focusing again on the buffalo bills Mm -hmm. you know we're focusing on you know one thing and um they'll say they're not but i just worry about that agility to to do all that yeah And, and that's what i think that's that's every climate place that's what the marine corps is what in your mind is the likelihood we'll fight china conventionally I don't think we're going to fight China. No, I, I think they're too smart. I think I think now if it happens, it might be it might be a, it's, it'll definitely be a mistake. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's not in China's interest, not in our interest. I I think they're going to continue to beat us economically. They're mm-hmm. going to they'll eventually beat us socially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll they'll be, beat us with their values. They'll that while we're while we're focusing on them, they're focusing on the world. Mm-hmm. That, that's how they're going to beat us, because because we we lost sight of the goal, you know, the target. The target isn't them. The target is us being a city on the hill, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of thing. You know, being being that bastion, we're losing it because we're so focused on them. So if you were if you were king or you were president and you could you know talk to the joint chiefs of staff and you know you've got your 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 government heads, where should we be focusing? I think where we uh, well, I'd back up. Where I'd say where have we failed? Hmm. You know, militarily we haven't failed. We're, we're, we're any engagements militarily, we're still superior. Is China and you know in in a less respect Russia threatening us? Yeah, a little bit. But I think I think what we really need to do is we need to be better. Pull, pull at the strategic level, pulling all elements of national power together, and really being better ab- about that synchronization to protect our nation's interests. To, to really, to really, not only have a strategy, but have ha- have an implementation plan that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, from a strategic level, and then I think, like I said, at the tactical level, you know, really looking at making sure we have military forces that are agile, but that also you know, you know, the, the, the failure in invest in investing in languages. And again, that, that can be a very, you know, like you end up chasing your tail, but, you know, so that when we go somewhere, we are not aliens, right. you know, and, and, and it starts with a very, probably a very, you know, a much better soft employment, you know, mm-hmm. where, where do we have our soft around the world? So that I have those eyes and ears, so that they speak the language, they understand the culture, they they under, understand what's happening. So eventually, they can help stop things from happening mm-hmm. in the other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, if in fact you you buy the argument that we're still a global power. Mm-hmm. If not, then time to pull back. Mm. Yeah. Final stretch of questions. Okay, sir. no, no problem. So you're at the National War College here in D.C. Could you talk about general officer PME or joint PME at the senior levels? 
I think, um, yeah, yeah. We, our, our mission here is uh, th th there's a, a consortium of senior level uh, courses. Each of the services run a, a senior program. They they teach strategy, but they they also they're more at the operational focus with their domain. Mm -hmm. You have Naval War College, maritime domain, air war college, airspace power. Mm -hmm. um, our domain here is much more, um, we focus on national security strategy. Our domain, if you're going to call anything, is the interagency domain. Mm. So our, the, the, the number of students we have, the uh, number of faculty are much higher in the interagency than, than those. So that's kind of you know, where, where we're coming from. If I've got a criticism, I'd say, um, again, well-meaning people, but I think, I think the joint staff, I think they're being a, a, a little a little too they're over engineering a little mm. bit too much mm -hmm. in kind of the curriculum getting too involved because we're worried about China mm -hmm. make sure 50% of your curriculum is China we have students saying why are we focused on China so much there's other things out there yeah. you know China's important we got it but we need to be we need to have we need to be thinking about that we need to be thinking about China, but about the whole right. what's the what's next. Mm -hmm. If you get, I think I think right now a little bit over engineering in in the in the joint professional military education. You know, Don Vandegrift and I still have an argument to have on outcomes based military education. Mm -hmm. I get the tactical level makes sense. I'm a little concerned about it at this level because it's like what we weren't doing outcomes before. We we didn't care about outcomes before. Mm -hmm. To me, the outcome is I want someone to be steeped in, in, in history, steeped in case studies, steeped in understanding national, the elements of national security mm -hmm. so that when they go across to the Pentagon, they can be a good advisor, 06, one star, two star, three star, mm -hmm. that is thinking strategically. Mm -hmm. And you don't do that you know, with a checklist right. of, okay, this outcome and this outcome, this outcome, you're all set, you're, you're done. Uh, I want thinkers coming mm -hmm. out of here. Mm -hmm. I want people that can can be presented with a problem mm -hmm. and help develop a solution for our nation. Mm. That's kind of what we are. You mentioned being steeped in uh, history and, and case studies. For you, sir, which works of military history, theory, which military thinkers have shaped you most? Well, I, there's, there's so many of them, but, you know, Boyd, Sun Tzu... Clausewitz, mm -hmm. you know, Germany, but we are Germany, mm -hmm. and Germany's probably the, you know, our sort Achilles, little, our, yeah. our Achilles heel. For those who don't know, you know, Germany was all about a hey, scientific method. Okay, uh, everything can be can be brought down to a checklist, mm -hmm. or you know, oversimplifying it. So I think all those Boyd probably most influential on me, just because I've read all those other things, mm -hmm. but Boyd is kind of like came at it from a different different perspective mm -hmm. you know but I read all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah. you previously told me that at the National Defense University you're looking for the next Ike Skelton and you can't find that person yeah who was Ike Skelton and why can't you find someone well like Ike Skelton he, he he was a congressman from Missouri and and he he really he was involved uh, as Marine Corps professional military education was reinvigorated in the 80s and 90s. He was very central to that and never let go of it mm -hmm. until until he, he passed away. And he he was he was a voice you know in Congress for professional military education. And we have the laws are in place and so forth, but we don't have that person with the energy to really to be so focused on 
professional military education, you know, to be that forcing function. You know, we can police ourselves within the military and, and so forth, but, you know, without somebody from Congress, without an interest from Congress, and you can't manufacture it. I mean, he was interested, whatever. Mm -hmm. I would like to say, where is somebody that really, you know, in Congress that has a total, you know, an understanding of the problem, but also what needs to be fixed? What I'd say, you know, like I said, we, we have, we have as a nation, our military ha hasn't lost tactically or operation. We don't, you know, it's, it's where we pull all the pieces together that it kind of falls apart. And this is kind of my ax to grind about how we're organized. There are many elements of national power. You have diplomacy, you got the economics, you got information, and you got military. Got it. All these things need to be woven together. China does it very well um, to, to secure our interests and to implement whatever strategy our nation has. Look at our education. Where's it come from? Who runs it? Mm -hmm. M. You know, we fall under the joint staff. Mm -hmm. I was king for the day. I'd say you need to have, and I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know how to do it, but there needs to be the, the services need to have their their military schools because they are in those military domains. But you need to have some school, whether it's the college here or the university, that's outside, that's not hampered by the M, mm -hmm. the military, that is governed by an interagency body, so that when the military folks want to change something like, I don't know, you know, in the curriculum mm -hmm. that may, may be more operationally or tactically focused, the diplomats can go, wait a minute, we really, we want to have thinkers that are thinking strategically up here, you're bringing us down in the weeds. Mm. But as long as the military is, is running, is calling the shots, is providing the outcomes base, mm -hmm. is paying all the paychecks, as long as that's happening, whatever education we do, how, however, despite ourselves, mm -hmm. it's got a big M, mm. a big shadow of an M looming over it. So if I was king for the day, I'd say, how to fix that? But the only way you're gonna fix that is if someone in Congress is interested and says, you know what, we gotta fix this, and this is big. We've yeah. talked about the possibility of, I think, Seth Moulton, who, mm -hmm. he was a Marine infantry officer, someone like him maybe, uh, picking up that that mantle. I have no idea if he's interested right. in it, but would you prefer someone who would have military experience to be that champion in Congress, or does no, it doesn't it matter? No, it doesn't matter. I, yeah. I need someone that understands the problem, that, mm -hmm. that, that understands the problem, wants to put energy in, in their name mm -hmm. behind it, and, and is a bulldog, is, is like Ike Skelton was mm -hmm. in, in terms of making it happen. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I mean... It's, sometimes I like to say, you, you, you know, uh, the Prussians needed Jena to fix them. Mm. You know, it wasn't until Jena, they were the, they were the pr premier right. military right. until Napoleon defeated them in Jena. And then there was a s series of self-reflection. So maybe we need a Jena to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, is Afghanistan that? I don't think so. But, mm -hmm. you know, but to really look back and say, all right, how do we, how do we fix our strategic thought? How do we get it to the next level? And do we have a built-in Achilles heel because all of our schools are paid for, are guided by the military instrument? Is there something wrong there?
So this raises, I think, an interesting question, and that's when Jim Mattis was the Secretary of Defense, and I think you were still, you were here. Oh, yeah, yeah. We um, had him, we had him over here. Yeah. He became, or seemed to become, very focused on lethality, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and yeah. I wonder, and, and there, you know, there, there are, you know, duffel blog articles kind of lampooning this, and yeah. there are other, and there are real world articles talking about, at the mess hall, we've implemented meals based on, you know, these new guidelines, and they're gonna increase lethality. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, <laughs> will it though? So, no. did you see any of that here? Where, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, you know, the cult of the lethality kind of trickling oh, yeah. into Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because people miss, people miss, misread kind of what he really meant. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we needed lethality, but what that get us in Afghanistan? What that I mean, get we us? We killed anyway. a lot more of them. Yeah, than we killed a lot, but where where are we? Yeah. So you know, and I think that impacted until just recently. The mission of the, the university had you know, the last part of it was in order to conduct war, and there was a lot of the diplomats had issues with that. They're like, wait a minute, you know, you know. So now our our mission has changed mm. to prevent war mm. and so forth, but yeah, I think I think there's problems with that, and again, that goes to my whole argument that the M is running this, right. well, you know, even the, and the Chinese will know it. The Chinese are very good at it. They know the power of the economic instrument. And, and I'm not saying our people don't know that, but when, when your main educational institutions are run by the military, mm. a DOD pays the paychecks, it's out of balance. Right. But, but it takes, it would only take someone, you know, in, you know a, a congressional push to say, this is, we, we, you need to fix this. Because people say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Hey, it's all U.S. money. Yeah. I don't, it, you just it, carve it out in different ways. Mm-hmm. But and are, are the other agencies interested? Who knows? Department of State may, it may be just fine with sending their folks here, which they get a great education here, and mm-hmm. they've built wonderful ambassadors through, through this program. You know, what's, what's broken? Mm. And I'd say, well, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there is a, a more a truly more interagency way to kind of approach this mm-hmm. and but it's hard it's mm-hmm. not easy it's a mm-hmm. hard freaking problem final few questions bring us back to the marine corps if you could change one thing about the marine corps what would it be huh. i don't know if i like the marine corps you know i <laughs> i i would i would uh, you know and uh, and general berg is a friend of mine i, I would just i would just be cautious about where we go, and, mm-hmm. and don't we don't burn bridges into irrelevance, mm-hmm. you know? Because the world will change, mm-hmm. and we need to be we need to be adaptable. We need to be an adaptable force, and and it's happened in our history that you know again back to Congress we need a Marine Corps. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Com- it comes up every so often. And and you, you just got to be careful. You got to put the pieces together. If we're not careful, if you don't. If you put the pieces together where you're irrelevant, then the Marine Corps will go away. Yeah. What excites you most about the future direction of the Marine Corps? Oh, you know, and, and this beauty of being here at the War College is, is, is not only the Marine Corps, but just of our nation is mm. the students, you know, mm-hmm. we, and, and, and realize we get a third of our students are military and they're awesome. I mean, they, again, they're the ones that were saying, why are we just focusing on China? Mm. So they're, they're thinking mm-hmm. outside the box, but then we got the future ambassadors, you know, the, the future uh, key leaders in each of the agencies. So a third of our students are the agency leaders. Mm-hmm. And then we have the international students. Mm-hmm. So what excites me is that combination 
in the next 10, 15, 20 years, they're mm. going to be the world leaders. Mm. And that's exciting. Yeah. And to have just a piece of that, it's important. But then again, I go to the value of the education and how the education is put together. Sure, sure. You know, could it be better? Not so over-engineered. Mm. Yeah. But that's what excites me. Yeah. And for the Marine Corps, it's just to see the Marines coming through. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're great. And uh, yeah, that, that excites me. Final question, sir. Do you have any parting thoughts or shots for our listeners? No, I think I think what you're doing with the Maneuver Warfare Group, I want to stay engaged with you oh, guys. 100%. I mean, because I think going back 30 years, 40 years, whenever it was, you know, but I think General Gray, he put a stake in the ground with a, a warfighting philosophy, and, it, and it, it has stood the test of time. I think it needs to adapt, but, it, but it, I think it's good, but it needs to stay alive. Mm. And it takes guys like you... You know, Brendan, you know, keeping it alive, uh, Dave Furness, not being stagnant, mm -hmm. keeping it alive. So I think I think that's it. And if we can get to a point where back to the manpower, where General Berger and with his other uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff can convince DOD to change some of the manpower rules so that we can promote those truly the visionaries in the next few next couple of decades going to be interesting it's oh, yeah. not all about china yeah it's about it's about just our world mm -hmm. and promoting the leaders that are going to keep us ahead of that mm -hmm. you know i think it's important sir thank you so much for the kind words thank you so much for your time this is a, a great conversation can't wait to share it with the society and yeah would, would love to have you back and uh, get you involved in some of our activities right. yeah I'd, I'd like to get involved in the broader community awesome. all right thank you sir okay mm -hmm.